Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. We are going to be at episode number 44, and I think probably one of the biggest episodes uh, yet. And if this episode is going to be the longest one of probably the podcast's history. I, I don't know, you know, of all time, but definitely going to be a long one. So, uh, you know, definitely... If you have a long road trip, you got you maybe you're working, putting this on the background. Uh, definitely relax yourself because uh, it, it's gonna be an absolute banger. Trust me. Um, I was approached by a gentleman named John Clark. Uh, probably I don't know if it was two, three weeks ago, the exact time frame. But uh, this is and if you're hearing this, uh, that would that would put this around November uh, 2022, depending on when you uh, listen to this. And he approached me that he's uh, doing a write-up um, for the MIT uh, technology. There's a magazine, I guess, that um, it's, it seems like a, a wide-ranging features of articles. It's not just uh, gaming-focused or, you know, this one category. It seems to be technology kind of in, in general. But uh, the, the premise was kind of UO, kind of metaverse slash VR, and really game design kind of things. Which struck me, um, uh, I, I, I was just like, wow, because I just had this last episode, a conversation with Abigor about uh, VR and his efforts, just his personal endeavor, right? Just a single guy working on some, you know, VR uh, and, and UO, uh, just crazy the timing here. So this was a fantastic uh, chat with John Clark, and he is a superb interviewer uh you know the guy definitely has a knack for this uh you could probably just you know look him up do some research on him uh you know the guy's highly intelligent he has clearly done exhaustive research on uo from a i would say more of an analytical viewpoint uh than you know maybe i would have so I found this reverse of roles uh, very interesting to me because a few times I was kind of caught off guard. Um, the other thing to note during this episode, uh, it's going to sound a little bit different uh, because live during, uh, you know, while I was talking to John Clark, I went ahead and shared my screen and showed him um, some OSI on Atlantic uh, and we... Uh, a huge shout out to the cool guild for helping out showing him different houses and stuff john clark has played uo before so that was cool to know but kind of showing him a you know what it's like now current day and i just shared my screen but why i say the sound is different is i i turned on the sound at, at some point during the chat and I just kind of, I left it on inadvertently, um, the music is what I mean, and some of the sound. So you'll hear, uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting listen. Um, you'll have to give me some feedback on uh, what we think about the sound, because it's just vastly different than just, you know, two people talking and that's it. So uh, in any case, uh, I think the the questions were fascinating. Uh, they definitely had me thinking on my toes. The last piece of this, I went back and forth whether I was going to edit, you know, this piece out or not, but I'm not going to. Um, uh, politics kind of get brought up at the end. And, you know, I think it's such a passionate um, subject for me that uh, I really could, didn't want to hold back and kind of I wanted to give everyone, you know, kind of what I think. And I think John Clark's question, um, it wasn't 
like specifically to you know just a, a straight out politic question. However, um, it does tie back into UO because you will encounter people from every spectrum, whether it's you know uh, socioeconomics to uh, you know um, financial to religion to politics every single aspect right of life you'll encounter someone from a certain you know sector or whatever it is um and i'm gonna keep what i put in there because i truly believe in um you know free speech advocating that everyone deserves a platform um i've had people on this podcast that you know maybe have said some hot takes for certain shards certain things whatever i don't care i want to talk to absolutely everybody and i know uh for a fact i've talked to people on this podcast and that we both have extremely you know different uh perhaps political views and that's okay i i totally love it i, I want to hear all points of view all information and make my own choice uh, i truly believe that in my core and i felt like it would be disingenuous to remove that piece um because i really want you know i kind of taken a risk uh you know for you guys to kind of just show you a little bit more of who i am and and what i believe you know deep down inside because i i get it's a it's a game right but the interactions we have the friendships the camaraderie we build i think is much bigger than that and when you peel back uh layers and, and i think what people miss is even though we could be really polar opposite politically the game brings us together and you know whether it's oh you went to go on a hunt with someone or they crafted you some armor or you know they helped you out uh with whatever it, it's that unity and you know going a step you know even further back this podcast is about exactly that i'm bringing all of you all together no matter if you play a free shard uh hell osi or if you have your own server running you know in your basement and you just play by yourself and mess around i don't care um i think it's 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 important to include everybody in the conversation no matter what because um no matter if i get because i have gotten flack before for certain guests for certain things that's okay you know i i really believe you know everyone has a story to tell and you owe it, it can be quite a wild ride and i love every minute of it by the way that's why i'm you know recording this and getting this little time capsule i call it a time capsule because i hope in hell another 25 years you know we'll look back on this and kind of wonder you know why were we still so obsessed with this game um so that's kind of fun uh the other thing i want to say is i am working tirelessly on uh new guests i have the list has kind of gotten a bit out of control on people that uh, i want to talk to uh so my december obviously is going to be hot and heavy uh with the big man santa claus coming to town so i don't know how many um episodes i'll be able to squeeze in for sure at least one but uh hopefully more i am additionally i have been um relentlessly messaging uh some higher up people um to try to get some really heavy hitters on this podcast i feel like it's time um and i feel like uo is ready uh to be inserted into some larger conversations so i am you know rest assured i am working on that um if you have any i would say other leads 
or if you, you know, I don't know, if you have a connection with someone, uh, whether it be in, you know, hell, like I said, I don't know, the VR space, whatever it is, definitely send me an email. If you have any leads on people to talk to that might be, you know, extremely interesting and fascinating, you know, please let me know. Uh, you know, I get this asked a lot too, like, oh, how do you, uh, you know, get people on the podcast? It's really referrals from you guys. I, I'm not some all, you know, knowing connected person in UO. I really rely on referrals for people to say, hey, you know, I think you should talk to this guy or whoever it is, right? Like that's exactly um, the type of leads I need. So add me on Discord, send me an email, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, I sincerely appreciate your guys' support. Finally, um, I am going to be doing uh, a little bit of some sponsored content. I'm going to add it in uh, here. You'll hear it uh, midway through. So I, I get asked a lot hey, how you can support me. Um, I am sponsored by Wild Bills. They are a veteran-owned uh, soda company. Use code mustache. Get you a discount. Help support me. Um, honestly, I, I don't do this for <laughs> profit. Uh, th this is not a, you know full-time gig by any stretch of the imagination but um i do like supporting cool companies that you know and products i actually use i do really like their sodas <laughs> so it's a win-win all around a few of you guys have already um ordered some in the past uh and i'm also on top of that gonna be working on some mugs for vasrail poor i have mugs for myself mustache gaming however i think uh the community might be better served with a vasrail poor uh logo on a mug that might be kind of cool um, so I'm kind of, that's in the works too. So thank you all uh, sincerely uh, for your time listening to this. I know this is a very, very long uh, podcast episode, but trust me, it is worth it. Um, it. It's a really cool experience. I think you guys are going to enjoy. We'll see you guys next time. Um, I would say one of the things I really struggled with, with, cause I wrote some notes on the questions you sent me was how to not get stuck down like a rabbit hole <laughs> well i'm happy to go down those rabbit holes because okay. this is primarily for your audience and they know and love ultima right and, and i can just abridge in my own mind and distill in my own mind anything that goes too far down a rabbit hole for the purposes of the article i mean okay the, the truth is the space constraints of print are so crushing anyway <laughs> yeah 100%. It'll be good to just, just have a free-form conversation and and not try to fit it into particular boxes of questions I might have as of now about the article. Okay, and I'm going to, when I explain stuff too, I will kind of, if I use an abbreviation, I'll just kind of spell it out, what it means, because I'm just going to assume that no one knows Great. what it means. That's all. I think that's the best way. Um, Great. Okay, so man, if, if you want to, um want to begin or you know however we want to do this Let, let's let's go i'm ready to go all right okay do you want me to answer that first question you sent me uh i actually thought the question labeled number two might be a better starting point but then sure. one after that and then kind of just go down the list okay um so this is kind of is an interesting uh, question because this is how I'm going to categorize uh, the player base. And I'm going to read the question first of all, John Clark, so everyone knows. 
Um, Great. The, the question is, what have you noticed about how the player base has evolved? As UO transitioned from a mass market game with many short-time, low-trust players to more of a niche game with more long-time players and a tighter-knit community, what has changed? So, <laughs> I will say this. Uh, I laugh because UO hasn't really changed in terms of the player base. And I'm going to say this as an active player, that it's still very much so the Wild West. And what I mean by that is, of course, there are good players, there's bad players, and perhaps maybe uh, you know somewhere in the middle as well. Um, but it really is the same as it was when I played. I believe I started in the year, it was like 2000, 2001 is when I actually started playing. But um, it, it's very much so, you know, a, a mixed bag. You're going to get super toxic trolls to the most friendly people you've ever met. It, it's very wide ranging. Um, I will say, though, one thing that I think has changed is there's been more of a unification of the player base and that's really was my primary goal when I started uh, speaking to people was to unify a very siloed game and what I mean by that is there's almost a niche of a niche um, where different people play you know different shards different experiences there can be, you know, artificial walls that are brought up and that people get kind of funny depending on where you play. My goal was just to kind of unify everyone. Let's just talk about it as a whole. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, I will also say I have met, you know, me personally, um, some of, you know, the coolest people I've ever met in a game and... No other uh, gaming experience have I met the people that I have in uh, Ultima Online, period. That says a lot about the game. Yeah, um, I think one of the, and I'm going to show you later on, but to illustrate this is the game in which it, like, actually you interact with people is so different than most gaming experiences even today that it just it hits different um like and, and and this sounds very simple but when you type something in game the text appears above your head whoever was talking's head right and it it just seems so stupid simple saying that but most games now, right, you chat in a small little, you know, I don't know, four by four box, right? And it just, you lose a sense of, I don't know, interaction or sense of community when it's done like that. Um, so when you yeah. talk and you, oh, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's, it's way more personal. And that could be good or bad, <laughs> depending <laughs> on who you're talking to. <laughs> yes. Um. Okay, the other thing, um, and, and this isn't what has changed, I would say there has been many forks on the road for UO, and people have tried to either 
one of two things in my mind. They've either stuck with the core classic, you know, Ultima Online experience, and others have kind of gone down a different path, whether it's, you know, created their own server or tried to spin up, you know, I don't know, a, a complete different, you know, experience that no one has else ever had. So, um, you know, there, there's definitely been a few <laughs> jarring examples of that, of just change. Yes. Okay. Does that kind of help you? Is that, was that a good it, one? It does. So your answer seems to be that there has not been much change. I'm going to press you on that a little bit more, though. Sure. In terms of things like trolling and griefing, the reputation of the game, at least, has been that the prevalence of that has diminished over the years relative to what it had been in the heyday. So Am I, I wrong about that? No, I think you're correct that... Um, and <laughs> I always have said this game is a gift and a curse. Um, the curse is I will always be chasing this type of experience no matter what game it is. I, will, I call it chasing the dragon conceptually. Um, no matter what MMO, other gaming experience I have, I unfortunately always reference UO because it does things so well that other games just miss the mark completely. Um, yeah. Now, I will say... A game like Ultima Online is not for the faint of heart. Um, current day, I think it's so... It, well, it can be so punishing that a lot of people now that are older don't really want to <laughs> experience some of the uh, punishment the game offers. As yeah. where before, right, you were younger, you had, you know, I don't know, triple the amount of time you had before. Um, so I can, I can say, yes, it is definitely way more niche. And whether you're on the official servers or not, um, it's still a huge learning curve if you've never played. Yes. Now, when you started, that would have been right around the time of the Trammel split. Yes. Was that... After, or did you sneak in just under the wire? No, so when I started, there was already a uh, trammel. I came okay. after that. And I'm trying, to, I don't, I'm trying to remember the exact year, but man, to, to take you back, um, and I remember this, I remember I was at the uh, YMCA. I was a huge YMCA kid growing up. I always went there for summer camp, right? And I remember this kid. And this kid, I, I, don't ask me why, John Clark. I remember his name. His name was Chance. Okay, and he was a bit of a punk. <laughs> he was always into trouble. And I remember him. He ran up to me. He's like, "Hey, man, I, I was playing this game called, you know, Ultima Online." I was like, "You know, what is that?" And because we we played games online or whatever, and he's like, "Well, he's like, I I was killing someone, and I was in town, and like the guards were chasing me, and like I remember him saying that, and I really had, and I think I don't know, I must have been." I was in my teens, you know, I don't know if I was 14, 15, I'm not sure of the age, but I remember trying to conceptualize it in my head. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, oh, well, you're playing with, you know, AI. He's like, no, he's like, dude, these are live players. I was like, what? So I remember some part in that, in that summer period, he brought the disc, which I actually dug up. I still have the disc. And he's like, yeah, oh. here, man, like, you know, install it. And, um, 
I remember installing it, and then I remember having to explain to my mother that I need your credit card <laughs> to enter <laughs> into, you know, to subscribe. And luckily, she was, I think, I don't think she really understood, right, like how big of a deal that was. or didn't really push back on it because she wasn't technology, you know, up with technology standards, you know, not that I was, but she didn't really question it and uh, let me do it for a, a long time. And uh, I remember just logging into the world and I had zero idea what I was doing. And I literally remember I had the guide. It was like a, a brown little manual. It was thicker and like that's all you had. Like that was it. So I remember just wandering around, you know, figuring out, you know, what in the world am I supposed to do in this game? Yeah. Um, so I... I Go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say that, you know, these experiences, and I think this is very important, I, I really, I probably couldn't tell you what I had for dinner maybe even four days ago, but I can tell you that story probably for the rest of my life, which says something. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> So the fact that you started after the big split goes some way in my mind toward explaining why the change in the player base seems relatively less pronounced to you. Yes, and um, this is going to draw uh, back to my conversation I had uh, with Richard Garriott. When I, before I talked to him, uh, myself and I would say, I mean, it's anecdotal. I don't have, you know, I can't say the whole community, but the majority of the community did not appreciate that split. And I know uh, myself, before I spoke with him uh, about it, I was completely against it. I didn't understand it. I couldn't believe, you know, that they would even do something like that, you know, because I would say I'm the asterisk. I am a, you know, niche PvP or player versus player kind of specialty. That's what I really like to do in the game. So I can understand my bias that I wouldn't want a safe area. But when talking with him and understanding the business decision that went behind it, and yes. you know that he was even against it from a code perspective, which I found fascinating. Um, and then on the counter of that, it was actually largely successful. So I would like to say, John Clark, in my you know very mature age now, <laughs> that I could appreciate that now, while as before, I was much more pitchforks and torches like, dude, like, why did you do that? Now I, I kind of get it on why it occurred. Yeah. So from reading accounts of that period it seemed like there were a lot of people who got into griefing and would do it for a while and then get bored and leave assuming they weren't banned for some reason yes how, how true is that now do you think there are still a significant number of people who get into uo for a few months grief people get bored and leave or has there been more crystallization of the player base so by uh, uh, my answer is going to be in two parts because I want to address uh, two very large communities. On the official servers, I believe 
griefing, this is my belief, it's not as prevalent than it was before. And th the reason for that is, is I think on the official servers, it's much more, if you want to engage in combat, if you want to engage in stuff like that, it's much more consensual based where, you know, this person has flagged, yes, I want to be attacked, you know, at any point, I, I know I can be attacked, I'm ready for it, let's do it. As opposed to, I'm not flagged, so really the the only way to grief or stuff like that is you have to really kind of be inventive. And I would like to say, <laughs> after 25 yeah. years, I, you know, I'm not sure how many people are actively griefing, like you said, coming on for a few months and then leaving because... The community is so small, I would say, that you're going to be outed very quickly as opposed yeah. to before there was, you know, millions. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, but uh, the other fork of this are the uh, the, the unofficial shards. Um, thieving, griefing is way more alive. And the, the, the easy answer to that is there is no trammel on free shards. Yeah. So that kind of gives you why. <laughs> but even there, I think the difference is people go into it now knowing that unconstrained PvP is a core part of the experience. If they're either on a free shard or in Feluca, everyone signed up for that, I think. Is that a fair assessment in your mind? Okay, um, I'm going to answer this as someone who has, uh, during COVID, I actively streamed player killing, okay, which uh, I did that for, I mean, probably almost a year, two years. My answer to you is people understand that uh, the combat can happen anywhere. They get it. However, I will tell you People still will lose their absolute mind when, you know, you kill them, grief them or whatever. They will get yeah. very tilted. Not everyone, yeah. but you would be shocked at how angry people get is all I'll say. <laughs> Fair enough. But it does seem like a, a big change in the in the dynamic socially, psychologically, and from a narrative basis to go from wolves preying on sheep to mainly wolves preying on other wolves, so to speak. I would say, yeah, that's a fair uh, assessment of it. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's interesting for me, uh, to be honest, because I, I see both sides of the coin. Um, and the... <laughs> I would say the very fascinating thing about this is uh, when we had COVID hit, we saw an explosion on the free shards that no one has ever seen. And the 25 years of UO, we've never seen this many people flock to it. And this is on both, both the free shards and official. What really surprised me, because I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you, but what really shocked me was seeing how many people... and Again, we're talking, you know, thousands. We're not talking tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Like, just thousands of people came for a ultra-hardcore experience of just having Feluca. You know, and yeah. on, on the same token, some people came 
for that, you know, traditional split. So I would say, you know, <laughs> there's still a very niche market for both. Both uh, are passable. Yeah. Yeah. So then the next question gets at changes to gameplay. Since 2000 or 2001, when you started, which changes to the game have had the most dramatic impact, you think, on player experience? So Most people... Go ahead. I would say I just know the one for me because I know when I quit. <laughs> that, that was the ultimate right change, uh, which was Age of Shadows. Um, mm. When that released, I remember logging in and, I, you know, I think... I had to have been 18. I mean, I was, I would like to say older. I wasn't, you know, that young in the sense that I understood, you know, a little bit. And I remember logging in and just clicking, you know, an item and it just had all these different stats. And I was just so turned off by that. Um, the diabolification of the game. Correct. I, I, I had a, I struggled with it because I said, I already have Diablo, and that's very successful. I like that experience. But then I was like, when you threw it into UO, it just it didn't resonate with me personally. And I, you know, I guess you'd have to go back to maybe subscriber numbers, I suppose. But there was still a ton of people that it really, I think, was the nail in the coffin for them because you have to also remember that back then we didn't really have a large you know repository of information like we do now and it wasn't it definitely wasn't real time um back then we had a website called stratix which still exists but that was pretty much the website where you kind of like knew things like i didn't even realize they were doing that that's how as a player i don't know i didn't really follow like you know the patch notes to the t or whatever um but that to me was the biggest fundamental change, you know, in UO because it just it, it literally changed the items, how builds were done, all of that completely changed it. For the players who were turned off by that, do you think it was more just that it was different and unfamiliar and unpleasant in that way? Or was there a consequence in terms of gameplay mechanics that changed it for the worst for the people you're talking about? I would say um, it, ch- it changed everything. The fact that, like, you know, whatever you were accustomed to, whatever you, let's say, have uh, accumulated in terms of, let's say, weapons, uh, items, they really became almost useless in one single patch. And what I mean by that is... You know, you wouldn't really be able to use the gear that you once used just yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, you basically had to go out and farm for new gear. There was no, and I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. I don't believe there was, there was no mechanism to convert an old item into a new, like, usable one. It, it The old item got, you know, the new stats, but... You know, obviously with the new patch, you wanted to get the new items, right? <laughs> that had better abilities or stats. And it 
And it literally changed um, the mechanics of the game to where, you know, you could have a suit of armor that you no longer needed, you know, uh, regs to cast. Or you, you know, had now way different abilities that did not exist at all before. So for a lot of people, I think it was a bit of a turnoff because it, it was not the same game to me. Yeah. Yeah. There was... A real aesthetic change to that as well that I, I haven't seen discussed very much. But it was a shift from what had been a pretty traditional fantasy medieval aesthetic where the yes. players all look like people at a Renaissance fair to post-Age of Shadows, the people sitting around at Britain Bank are all wearing like glacial clothing and riding <laughs> tiny beetles. <laughs> and it just didn't really feel purely medieval anymore. Um, Everyone was so kitted out in, in weird neon stuff. So it's very funny you bring this up. Um, and I'm, I'm doing this live. I'm going to send this to you in Discord. You're going to laugh. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you <laughs> the Free Shard answer to this as well. Uh, Free Shard oh. suffered... <laughs> from the same issue where you had people man just they looked like complete you know i would say fools that's not that's not the type of drip that i would represent myself with um but yes i would say uo as a whole went through a a neon obsessed phase perhaps is the best way to describe it but it really changed, and not only with the, um, you know, dress, but the new, you know, uh, you could be a, 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 you know, vampire or whatever. They had elves, too. They had really weird yeah. shifts, right, from it that I guess, you know, John Clark, to be honest with you, we, we could sit here in hindsight and be like, man, that, that was a dumb decision. But I understand they were trying to keep it perhaps fresh, but... Yeah. There, there's a small part of me that wonders if they just really didn't touch it, you know, would they have really lost, you know, so many people? I don't know. Yeah, no, no way to know in the counterfactual. Mm -hmm. it, it does seem like the sort of aesthetic shift that could have put people off, even without necessarily being fully conscious of that being why. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I always found it very interesting that, you know, this game really, it, it suffered from its own success in many ways that there was, and even, even today, you know, there's no rule book or benchmark that they could go off of. And, and this is, I would say, done... You know, every expansion, I'll put that in quotes, you know, that they've really tried or had, there was there was no guide or benchmark to say, oh, we need to do it this way, right, for it to be a success. It was really all a whole bunch of trial and error to see what players would be receptive to. And I would also say, you know, and I maybe feel like I'm dating myself, but, you know, back in the day... I don't really know how they surveyed uh, the player base effectively. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because like... It, yeah. <laughs> that, that's a difficult governance challenge for 
any MMORPG or virtual world in general, it is not trivially easy for the people running it to understand what's actually happening on the ground. Right. There's a, a great book that I recommend checking out if you haven't read it called Seeing Like a State by James C. Scott. Okay. And that book is basically about how governments have tried to make the facts on the ground in the world legible to themselves, like systems organizing processes right. for surveying the population, figuring out forest management and how many trees are in a plot of land. And there are a lot of frictions in that process yeah. where the process of turning the actual facts into data that policymakers can use loses something important. Right. And in virtual worlds, you would sort of naively think that wouldn't carry over, that wouldn't still be true, because everything is literally made out of information. <laughs> right. So you would expect the developers would have a, a, a full understanding of everything going on, but that is severely not the case. Right. Well, I think when I, when I talked to Gary and he was like, imagine you built a city on toothpicks and you had a million people move in overnight. <laughs> like, I just, I felt that was just a great analogy because, yeah, yeah like, you know, there's going to be a lot of headaches, hassles, and you know what, uh, coming with that because... I would, and, and it's funny, I emailed, I emailed Garriott um, before we had this chat, and he wasn't aware of any studies that have been done um, just about the game, but I'm very certain there has to be, you know, some studies that have been done on it, because it models, you know, real life, I think, to a T, um, with economies, uh, you know, good versus bad <laughs> like yeah. i don't know i i think it models real life in my opinion a lot yeah and and in many ways that's a tribute to raf coster's vision for the game design yeah in that so many of the ways that the game experience suffered were actually because the simulation was allowing players to do things they couldn't in other games. The simulation was being, in some ways, truer to life than what had been attempted either before or since. Well, and I think uh, it kind of turned the word sandbox into a naughty word, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, well, no, 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 we don't want players to do that. We want them to be on rails and just, you know, follow this track until the end, right? And but you know, and and if you've ever, and this is the this is the problem, the hang up most of us have, um, that once you've played UO with that freedom, you just play another MMO, and you're just like, this doesn't feel the same. Like, well, I want, I want to be able to craft, you know, my own, you know, I would say destiny. That may sound a little uh, too cliche, but you know. I want to make a mark on this world and some of the things that you can do in UO 
just you can't do in other games and it just it feels so empty and barren to me like the the word in itself like mmo like i don't even view some of the modern ones they they don't they're not an mmo in my eyes because there's just it's you almost feel like you're just connecting as a robot into this super massive server farm and you're just completing you know abc objectives and you may never even talk to anyone you know and that's that's it that's what it feels like yeah. to me yeah, certainly not virtual worlds in the same living, breathing way. Yes. And that, that kind of gets back to my initial interest in writing this piece. I've been seeing a ton of hype and speculation about building the metaverse. Yeah. And people talk about that like it's a totally new concept <laughs> situated at some point way in the future. Right. But if we think of the core idea of the metaverse as being an extension of our world that includes persistent virtual spaces that people can inhabit, we've already begun building it. And in fact, there's a strong argument to be made that by that definition, historians may look back and consider that the oldest extant part of the metaverse just turned 25 years old and is Ultima Online. Well, and, and I would say this too, um, I don't think a lot of people know what they're getting themselves into. <laughs> and I say that in effect to not only the people building the world, but the people in the world as well. Yeah. Um, because it, I'll say this, um, UO has, even from a young age, uh, and you can ask anyone that played, like, it conditioned me... <laughs> To be, I would say, desensitized might be, you know, the 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 nice way to say it, but um, I don't know, man. You want to talk about thick skin, like that type of freedom, you you have to have it to survive in that world. And you know, I think I'm for the better for it, you know, now in hindsight. But you know, when I think of like, and by the way, I'm a huge VR uh, person. I have, uh, uh, well, now it's called Meta. I call it the Oculus, but. In any case, I mean, my whole family uses it. I'm very much, I see the vision with it, um, but I've already found myself with my kids trying to figure out how do you manage their interaction with other people, you know, where I can't even see what they're seeing unless I, you know, maybe mirror the screen, but that's, you know, not always yeah. the case. Um, there are some serious design questions and, man, I, I don't know, I, I am looking forward to it because i'm definitely there i'm in but you know i think the metaverse has been in my mind presented as like a i don't know man i feel like it lost its its uh its spark when it just seemed like an advertiser's paradise where it's like you know <laughs> oh this company's built this where you can do that and i'm like man i don't the way it's done in 2022 i'm not sure if it's going to be what I'm wanting. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Well, personally, I think a lot of people were turned off the idea by being first exposed to it through Facebook's PR, now Meta's PR. Right. It felt like something that they were trying to monopolize because, in fairness, they admittedly are. <laughs> yeah. But... I just wish more people had explored the concept 
sooner. So we're right. only seeing it through that lens and getting jaundiced by <laughs> the, the negative valence surrounding corporate projects like that. Well, and I'll tell you, you know, I'm a true uh, nerd to the core and even the concept of the metaverse, like it's confusing in itself. Like, well, who's metaverse? Which one? Like, how do I, you know, enter the metaverse? And then it's like, you know, which world am I in and, and investing time? It seems very much so. And I almost, I view it as shards in my mind because different ones have maybe a different experience. I think there's a lot of user education that has to happen for people to really get it. Um, uh, on the flip side, people that are saying, you know, oh, it's not going to happen. No, I, I believe it's going to happen. Um, yeah. I am, I'm not a fan of, uh, you know, Facebook as a whole. However, um, I will, you know, definitely go out of my way to say thank you to Zuckerberg for dumping as much money as he has into VR because I wouldn't have the headset I have, right, without them just completely dumping, you know, a bucket of money into this. Um, yeah. So I think there has been some positive to that, but um, it, it, tying this back together with UO, by the way, I haven't posted this yet because when you engage me, I kind of uh, shift my focus a little bit. I have an episode recorded that I'm going to release, and um, the gentleman that I was speaking to, he has actually already started to try to build um, a UO-like zone in the meta, like in in VR. Let me just say, not metaverse, in yeah. VR. Um, which I found very intriguing because I I thought in my head, I was like, wow, if I imagine an MMO and where I'm in a world where I have housing and there's a city I could walk around and then I could literally decorate my house in VR as I do in the game would be absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. And I guess so another, uh, go ahead. I wanted to ask you, sorry to interrupt you. Um, what is your familiarity with have you ever played UO? I should have asked you that at the beginning. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Not in a long time. But uh Ah, interesting. Okay, yeah. so you have. So you do under because you know, one of these rabbit holes, you know, I'm gonna jump into real quick is just housing, right? <laughs> um I, I feel like uh, this Peace alone, player housing, what I'm talking about is, and you owe, basically, you have a static world, and you're able to place a dwelling, whatever it is, in that world, and it's static, and it stays there, and then you can then decorate inside. For people that, you know, are listening, think of it like uh, The Sims, right, where you can decorate your house and all, but it's so intricate that... I, and this is my hot take for the official servers. I know for a fact there are a lot of people that have active subscriptions just to preserve their house and their pixels that they've had for 20 plus years, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also interesting, I think, how much player creativity was driven by the relatively limited tool set, at least initially. Like people making pianos out of right. chess boards in the game. And 
Yeah. So many different ways that they made a lot out of a little in home design and decor. Well, and I'll say this, you know, I am definitely like a, a caveman when it comes to uh, home decor. Uh, perhaps that models my real life uh, shortcomings. <laughs> um, you know, in the game, I just, I'm terrible at organizing stuff, trying to, you know, place things in certain ways. I, I almost, I call it an art form. Well, I truly believe it is. Because uh, I, I, I almost believe this too, that it's almost like an um, interior designer is really what it is. For someone to have the vision on, you know, what they want, where, and, but, you know, when I say this, placing a tiny one-by-one one pixel in a certain area and then maneuvering it in such a way, it's very, it's just as cumbersome as I'm describing. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have the patience for it. To give you a, a, a real analogy of this, I, Currently uh, in UO, I, I live with uh, my best friend on a, on a houseboat, and he does all the organizing and set up all the chests. So I just come and dump the items in certain places, and I'm perfectly okay with that. But yeah, I, I am not a deco person. <laughs> Fair enough. So another thing I'd like to learn more about is the gray shards. Okay. And particularly how that got started. I've seen some of the devs using the term reverse engineered, but I'm not really clear on how the server side code was put together and technically how it was done. Do you have insight into that? So um, that was one of the asterisks on your questions. And I'm going to just, I'm going to pause for a second because I want to pull it up because. Okay. I want to make sure I talk about the right person. So there's a guy uh, goes by the name Westy, and they pulled this conversation. Uh, this guy named Solus and Westy. They pulled this conversation back in 2020. They were talking about this exact thing because okay. I, I didn't I didn't know uh, the answer to this either. Apparently, the takeaway what I got was there was some sort of a demo CD or disc at some point um, that was actually it was reverse engineered that's what they said he said uh, and I'm going to kind of read this just real quick it's not very long um, it says well here's some history there was a UO demo that came out on, on CD back in the day and someone cracked it so you could look at the directory structure in the exe file this is in parentheses the demo was a self-contained server with an encrypted directory structure so mm. someone, yeah, took that and just completely, you know, turned that inside out because that was an interesting question that I didn't know myself. How did, you know, this even start? Because, I mean, hell, uh, <laughs> you know, the gray shards have been around for, I mean, I know the one I played hybrid uh, has been around for over 18 years. I don't know if there's one that's been around longer than that, but it's a considerable amount of time, right? For sure. Yeah. 
What are your best estimates for the current size of the player population on the official shards versus gray shards? So, and I feel pretty uh, confident in these numbers, and I'm going to say confident in the general consensus of people that actively play. <laughs> I don't have any real uh, numbers. They don't publish these anymore on the official servers. I would say um, globally with all the uh, official shards, I think there's probably between fifteen to 20,000 uh, subscriptions. Now, I kind of pause when I said that because I don't believe there's fifteen to 20,000 active players. I think people come in and out, but I believe they keep the subscription open because of um, housing and their pixels. Because for people that don't know, um, no matter where you play, especially in the official servers, if you don't have an active subscription, your house will drop. What that means is your house basically disappears, your stuff goes on the ground, and someone else can place right over it. Um, so that that's my uh, you know take on the official. The gray shards, I, I'm going to speak for um, North America. I, UO has a very much so global reach that I have no idea about anywhere else other than here. Yeah. Um, but I would say here, and I know this for a fact, the, the biggest free shard gets usually between 2,800 to uh, 3,800 online almost near 24-7. Now, add that with a couple other, I would say, stragglers. I feel pretty confident that it's between five to seven thousand people on gray shards total. I would say is a very um, real estimate uh, in my mind. Uh, globally, I would bet it would match the official servers, and there's probably you know let's say fifteen k. So you know in gray shards, that feel that feels very safe and accurate. Gotcha. So that's basically going from San Antonio as it was during the game's heyday to the Ojai Valley where I live in California for the official shards. Yes. And to tell you, I'm going to tell you a quick story, if you don't mind, um, that happened to sure. me in real life. Um, so you can see, and I'm going to give you background, uh, the shirt I'm wearing is just the Vast Rail Pour, my podcast shirt, right? Has, yeah. you know, the Vast Rail Pour, people probably wouldn't, they don't know, but the, the UO logo at its core, right? If you've played UO, you're going to recognize that. So yeah. I'm sitting, uh, was in Disney World, and I, and I decided that day, uh, I'm a huge Disney freak, by the way. Uh, mm, I, I, may okay. not, I may not look like it uh, <laughs> physically, but uh, I assure you, I'm very much a Disney fan. So we're at Disney World, and uh, we had a full day. I, I picked this shirt to wear, and uh, we're sitting down uh, waiting on uh, lunch, and it was like 2, 3 o'clock. And as I'm as I'm sitting there, uh, this guy, you know, uh, is sitting next to me, and he goes, "Oh man, you know, I like your shirt. You know, you played UO." And I was just floored. And we we got in this conversation, and he's like, "Yeah, man, I, I played back in the day. I, I love it. I've never found anything like it, you know, ever again." But it's just like it. it Why I'm telling you this is it touched so many people. I mean, we're talking millions of people that you know may have either forgotten about it today but if they ever see a logo or see this it's like you will instantly click in your head oh man that, that's uo you know yeah 
Yeah, it's something much deeper than seeing someone in a Call of Duty t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Way deeper in the fact that, like, if I, you know, him and I, the way we were talking, you would think, you know, we knew, knew each other for a couple of years at least, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's really remarkable how the experience was so vivid for people yes. that it can have that effect so many years later. And I'll, and I'll say this. Um, I can't say too much, unfortunately, but um, there are uh, many famous uh, people that played UO. Um, and I've discovered a few, and I've been trying to work my way to talk to these people. And it's ranging from, you know, major CEOs to, uh, I kid you not, country music star. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, what? Are you sure? And and sure enough, you know, it, it is true. And um, I hope one day to, you know, expose this to an even bigger audience, just, just to go to show you that, you know, it wasn't just, you know, uh, people in their basement, <laughs> you know, eating hot pockets yeah. playing this. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So another question that's really fascinating to me is governance. A lot of my background is in the policy world, so I okay. kind of come to this through that lens. And there are so many issues in terms of game governance that OSI had to deal with in the game's first few years, and a lot of people disagreed with those. Yeah. From interviewing and communicating with people who run and play on the Grey Shards, how have they thought differently about those governance decisions? And what I'm really curious to hear is, where have they actually landed, perhaps reluctantly, on the same conclusions that Origin ultimately did? And I'm smiling for a reason, because I'm going to give some hot takes. Probably get me in trouble here a little bit. That's okay. Um, I like that. Um <laughs> I will say, and there's a reason why I'm going to do this and why I'm going to, is the best representation of UO is on um, OSI servers today. And there's going to be a lot of maybe disagreement with that. But the reason I say that is governance outside a corporate structure is usually masked with what I call smoke and mirrors, where it's... Hell, it's like Wizard of Oz, the guy behind the curtain, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, like a gray shard owes you nothing, right? It's like yeah. they could have rules published, and they do, um, but the underbelly of every free shard that I've ever played is always a bit mysterious. And when I say mysterious, I mean, you know... Uh, and gosh, I'm not, I'm not trying to use like corporate, you know, buzzword bingo, but like, you know, there's no change control. There's no, oh, we submitted this, you know, and the, uh, the board of PVP said, yes, we're going to approve, right, this change. Or, you know, yes, we're going to modify this dungeon because the, uh, the dungeon committee said, yes, we should, you know, buff up these monsters for this dungeon because it's too easy or yeah. something. There is none of that. There is, you know, 
I'm the server owner and here are my rules and here's what I'm changing. Um, there really is no oversight um, in that from a player perspective. Now it's going to come off uh, and there has been some that, you know, you get a server owner gives handouts to certain people. You can, you see what road I'm going down that, you know, it can get real sketchy on um, are you playing an honest experience that has not been altered, you know, by, because at the end of the day, an unofficial server is just that. It's run by a person or persons that you may or may not know and have no clue the behind the scenes of it. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm going to give an asterisk to that. Um, some of the uh, free shards actually do give very in-depth patch notes. Some have, you know, uh, forums that you can, um, you know, submit suggestions, whether it's on Discord or, or the, you know, the forum. Um, so I, I don't want it to seem like, you know, uh, it's ruled with an iron fist and just kind of shoved down the players' throats. But, um, you know... There is still a bit of mis mysteriousness <laughs> around it that you truly just don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Do you think players on the most established gray shards feel something like the same sense of investment and permanence in their characters? Or is that just a totally different situation? So, you know, I would say this, going on an, uh, a gray shard, right, nothing in, this is how I view it um, first, I view it as nothing is permanent, that, you know, <laughs> this experience could end tomorrow, just because, I don't know, uh, there's a disagreement with the server owner and this guy, and then the server got shut off for a week, a month. I don't know. Um, nothing is really owed to me as a player. The time that I invest in it um, is what I make of it. And that has caused, uh, and this might be an interesting answer, it has caused me as a player uh, on free shards now, kind of a fundamental shift to where I view it as enjoyment of my time rather than massive pixel building um yeah you know where now i'll go out and and you know pk you know player kill someone and that's what i like to do so you know if i'm not acquiring the uh, most amount of wealth and uh, the most amount of items i could really care less i don't really care about that because that doesn't really drive me in my current you know play style i guess does that make yeah. sense yes it does would you say you're in the majority there in terms of those gameplay differences between the official and the gray shards? Uh, repeat that one more time, John. I apologize. Would you, would you say you're in the majority in seeing that distinction between a more acquisitive play style on the official shards because you know you can accumulate things and they'll be relatively safe versus a gray shard where if you grind and grind and grind for something, it could go poof tomorrow? You know, I would say on OSI, there's probably way more um, investment in wealth over time, right? Because it's just been there longer. Sure. But I will say this, on free shards, 
there is significant financial investment by the players. I mean, I know this. <laughs> oh man, I know this for a fact, and this is. Uh, I, I shake my head at this. I, you almost can't believe it. Um, what has happened, John Clark? Now that we are older, perhaps dumber, and we have more money than we have sense, perhaps. Um, on some of these free shards, you can buy, you know, coins to um, exchange for gold or uh, deco items, whatever, right? So I, I'm kidding you. During COVID, I remember uh, like it was yesterday. This guy came in Discord and he was like, "Yeah, man, I just." I just dropped $10,000 on, you know, coins to get myself started on the shard. And I was just like, I mean, I almost yeah. fell out of my chair. I was like, what? You know, I'm like, you dropped that on a, not only on, on, on this game, but like a shard that you don't even know would be here tomorrow, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it's very interesting. People really have no problem doing that. Um, so that is something... I would say is very much so new behavior. Uh, we saw that uh, on unofficial shards for a while. You know, people would donate, I don't know, you know, 20, 50, maybe 100 bucks here or there. It wasn't a, um, a business, if that's fair to say, as some of them now are an absolute business because they're making very real money off it. So that kind of... Uh, that leads you into other questions too, man. You know, <laughs> the, the experience you're having, um, how does governance play into that, right? Are you just uh, making changes that people, you know, buy? You know what I'm saying? It, it can get kind yes, of the, uh, gray. The incentives for devs get really skewed potentially and in that System. You don't know who's making what. There's no public document to look over that. Okay, the owner pulled in hundred thousand this year. Okay, great. And he and he put in you know, I don't know, eighty thousand back into the shard for development. You know, there's really none of those answers. And what that leads to is uh, a an odd sense of feeling that. Is your experience fair? Because I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm, I'll say it out loud, right? The guy that donated 10000 is he treated any differently than the guy that just donated 20 bucks, right? Yeah. That's a very real conversation that I bet, you know, no server owner is even going to have, or they're just going to say, of course, I don't treat them any different. But man, I, I can tell you for a fact, there have been some... Uh, big money whales um <laughs> on these shards that have come and gone that just it's it's unbelievable now are those still structured ostensibly as perks for donations or are they pretty explicit okay you can buy this for that so i would say it's very different than uh pay to win models that exists today in MMOs. And I'm assuming uh, you're familiar with what I mean by that, where today in an MMO, there, and this is very popular in a lot of like the Korean MMOs, they'll have like, like Black Desert Online, for instance, like it's pay to win. I pay $1,000 for these sets of items and they're extremely powerful compared to what someone who didn't pay could get. Or conversely, the person that didn't pay, it takes 
100 hours to grind to get these items, whereas I just pay and get it instantly, right? Yeah. In UO, whether it's official or not, it's, it's both one of the same, there is no pay to win that I am aware of. And what I mean by that is on the store, you know, let's say, you know, the official, you know, you can buy, um, I don't, I don't, I forgot what the, the name of it is, but you can buy deco items. You can buy a, a, a shard transfer, right? Different things you can yeah. buy there. Unofficial, most of the shards have like a coin system. You can buy this type of coin and then redeem it for, and most of the time it's all decoration, uh, clothing, um, or you can just outright sell the coin for gold, raw gold. Yeah. Um, but it's never um, pay to win. So it's not like, hey, that person donated a hundred grand and they have a sword that just, you know, one hit kills everything yeah. in the game. No. Yeah, that's a really important distinction. <laughs> yes, because uh, not saying any names, you know, like Diablo, Immortal, or whatever. <laughs> um the predatory system of uh, you know pay to win is terrible. Um, you know, John Clark, you're probably in my category. I remember a day before DLC. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm getting old. I don't know, but <laughs> haven't gotten used to that yet. But yeah. <laughs> so we we've talked about people donating to the people who run the free shards and getting items in the game is there a market that you know of for paying real money for items on those gray shards to third parties who are not the people running them yes um that does exist that's still alive i don't think that will ever um go away i was very intrigued when uh and i'm, I'm i'd be interested to ask ask uh, Ralph uh, the, the cost of this question too. But when I asked Garriott about selling um, items for real life money, he actually didn't care, which I, I was, I was pretty yeah. shocked by that answer. I don't, I don't know what, you know, uh, Mr. Costa's uh, response would be, but um, I found that very, I was scratching my head like, well, wouldn't, you know, you want to cut in that or you didn't want people getting scammed. But he was just like, I didn't want to even deal with that. I could care less. Not my, you know, problem. Um, on yeah. a fit there and, and you know i can you know gosh i can say the website it's not like it's some you know <laughs> secret but there are websites that it's not just for you by the way it's for all mmos whether you're selling an account selling an actual item um think yeah. of it like ebay but on forums now and you know it gets into a a, a gray area when um and this is on official servers too you can buy you know I think it's called uh, platinum now is the highest tier of, of, of gold. I, 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 yeah, I've seen platinum coins yeah. now that are so billion gold could, piece. Uh, you know, I don't know. You could buy you know hundred plat for you know fifty, but I don't know. Don't quote me on on the actual numbers, but yeah, you can buy you know either someone has farmed it or they're just selling their stuff, and you can also just buy someone's account. They could outright yeah. sell you the account. Now is that legal? No, is it supported? Probably not, but let's be honest, it happens, right? I mean, it's just, yeah, yeah. On, on all shards and experiences, that does happen. Well, I remember Richard Garriott talking about it as a huge validation of the game to see people plonking down $1,000 <laughs> on a virtual castle. And it strikes me as doubly so for someone running a free shard. 
if people are willing to spend real money buying from a third party. So we can't look at this through the lens of just supporting the devs. Right. Paying um, real money for an item in the game because what it says about their expectations about the game's sustainability and viability and worth. I think um, you're right. It, it is almost a, a flattering statement, <laughs> right? That, wow, you know, people, th this can command that much, uh, you know, real life money. Um, and that's, from my understanding of OSI, even currently today, like a, a castle um, still fetches a, a fair amount of money because it, it models modern day real estate, right? Location, 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 <laughs> right? Like literally wherever your house is in the game, if it's a highly desirable location, it, it will sell for, I, I've seen accounts go for three to $500, you know, that's just an account for yeah. UO because it, you know, I don't know how that, after 20 years, it has all this stuff on it and, and you know, whatever. So that's still a, a very much so active market. Now, it's a little bit more rare, oddly enough, on the um, free shards because they, they like to crack down on that because, well, I, I don't know the reason, the exact reason, but um, I think it gets a little hairy when money, real life money is involved like that, I think. Um, and I know for a fact that the unofficial server is like, most of the places really try to enforce, you know, a zero tolerance policy where if they find you did it or you, you know, exchange money for this, you'll get banned or, or whatever. Um, but I do know for a fact of um, there was one person uh, and I remember he was quitting and the, the uh, rumor was that he unloaded like his house and all of his gold and he made and this is on an unofficial server he made like 15 to twenty thousand dollars doing that um which you know i was just like wow <laughs> that's yeah. a considerable amount of money you know and i i guess as we've gotten older and now people have careers and stuff you know it's disposable income i guess it's the only thing i can think of yeah <laughs> Another thing I'd love to hear you speak on is what's keeping people in the game in 2022. So, there are so many other options right now. And, and, and actually, I, I'd love to hear the, the breakdown between your answer for official shards and gray shards. But what do you think keeps people in today? I think the answer is... Uh... This is, I can be universal. I don't think um, okay. it has to be one or the other, but um, for sure, um, people, uh, they're pixels. That, that's completely universal no matter where you play. Um, like, what I mean by that to expand is oh, you know, I have a house that I've decorated and, you know, Gosh, my my dad, you know, decorated it with me, you know, 15 years ago. He passed away and now I've just kept this virtual house, you know, the same. You know what I'm saying? Like there are some very much so real life connections to this game that I feel like people will never 
put it away fully you know like mm-hmm. um now on the uh to to flip that over uh, i'll just give you the reason why i still play uh today is the i would say the thrill of the hunt and i'm gonna uh, tell you exactly what i mean by that is whether I am out to hunt a monster or a player, the experience is never the same. And that is something that I would say, I don't know if any other game offers that because again, I want real live players <laughs> because it's, it's never on rails. You know, I could run into an area and I could just get, you know, obliterated by 10 people and I can go back to that same area in five minutes and there could be a completely different experience. That alone um, causes me to want to play it. Um, And selfishly, I am a player killer. I enjoy the acquisition of loot, or I call it juice, uh, if you want to get, you know, the the, the (laughs) word on the ground, right? Uh, and I like acquiring that so much that it literally gives me a rush when I kill someone, right? That's really not yeah. the rush, but it's double clicking the corpse and looting everything they had on them is <laughs> just, you know, is an experience. It's really difficult to describe to someone, but it just, that thrill, like, I don't know. It, it's so unbelievable that when I play another game, I just know that. I'm not going to be, you know, as involved as I am, you know, in UO mentally, I guess. Yeah. And I, I want to take you on a little journey. I'm going to, I want to share my screen with you because this is going to play into your question. All right. Um, I want to share, and this is going to be kind of funny. I think you're going to laugh, but hold on. Okay. Okay. I'm going to turn on the sound i don't know if it's going to pass through to you or not because i have it off because i was recording but i'm going to just turn on everything i'm going to just lower it so it's not blasting okay so um, yes i can hear okay cool let me message uh this guy that's helped me out with this hold on okay um, the backstory, just so you know, um, and, and then the timing, John Clark, and all this—it's—it's <laughs> it's very hard to believe when you contacted me when you did. Um, the person I spoke to—he um, runs. Uh, it's not just him. There's a whole bunch of people. They run a guild called Cool. Okay. And okay. this guild uh, basically uh, helps people uh, whether new to the game, whatever. It it, it eventually morphed into. Uh, a full-blown organization because people just never left. They liked it so much. So this, right now, where where we are is their castle, okay? And okay. it's just, I want you to just see this and understand it. So they're outside. I'm going to go outside just to show you what's going on here. And, and by the way, I logged in for the first time, and one of my characters' name is Scott Steiner, a professional wrestler from old, which is really funny. <laughs> um, to show you probably my mental state when I create this character. I'm going to turn it down. So what, uh, what shard is this, and where in the world are we? So this is on Atlantic, on the okay. official servers, and this is the most populated shard 
um, that exists in terms of population. Um, I won't go into an extreme level of detail of what's occurring on the screen because that's, you know, probably take too long. However, um, what's important for you to see is like when I, you know, type uh, hunting, right? You see the text right above yeah. my head, right? Yeah. And it just, it sounds silly, but that's the way it is. Now, the cool thing that I, that a lot of people don't know that I haven't played in a long time, the client that I'm on, and I'm going to show you something really neat, allows me to zoom in. Mmm. And it has higher upscaled graphics that I could, you know, no, no one really plays this zoomed in, but you can. But yeah. to see the level of detail that exists in this world, right? Yeah. Um, is really cool. I'm going to turn it down just a little bit because I don't want to blast your ears. There's a lot going on. Okay. Um, fine for me. Oh, go ahead. What are you saying? The sound is fine for me. You're not blasting my ears. Okay, cool. So, and I'm probably going to die here because I'm, I'm low on health because I have no idea how to play this character. It's been, it's been a very long time. There we go. <laughs> so, to give you the representation, now that I've died, someone can come here and loot my corpse, right? Because in this area, I'm in Feluca, is where their uh, organization's headquarters is. Um, that thrill right there, like, I'm dead now, right? I can't do a thing. I have to be resurrected somehow. That in itself, to me, I love it, but that can turn off a lot of people, right? Yeah. Like, that's a pain, man. Now I have to go to my corpse and see they're dying too. Like, I have to go to my corpse now and loot anything that wasn't insured that just drops. Okay, so he just resurrected me. Yeah. Let me see what's on my corpse. There we go. Turn to bones. Mm. And I don't have anything on my corpse because it was all insured. I'm going to go back inside here so I don't die. But that's kind of, you know, a very quick representation. Now, when you look at this, you know, castle, it's so well done and so customized that, yeah. um, like, I want you to imagine in your head, if you quit the game or maybe didn't want to play anymore, could you really leave all of this behind? Because this probably took someone months to decorate, to obtain all the difference that, you know, I don't know. Yeah how long, but you can imagine, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, the, this is the Cool Guild, um, by the way, and they're a bunch of uh, people that invited me into their Discord and kind of, I was gonna talk to them about OSI, which is why I said it was funny that you uh, messaged me, and he kind of went into a very positive uh, experience on OSI that I didn't really understand um, existed, if that's fair to say. Um, he mm. was very happy with the game on OSI, um, the hunting that goes on, and, you know, I'm kind of one of those, like, seeing is believing type of people, right? And, yeah. you know, he invited me into the Discord, and I saw there was active people, there was banter, clearly they're doing a hunt right now, um, people won't be able to see it, but they'll be able to hear it, and kind of understand that this game is very much so still alive. So, yeah. 
I would say on top of the pixels, um, the camaraderie as well is probably what pulls people in um, because the interactions and things you do in UO are just way more player driven than they are on an on rails MMO. Does that make yeah. sense? Yes, it does. Okay. And and, and John Clark, I want to ask you what. When is the last time you've actually seen like in-game like people playing? I've seen video just from from this year, but this is the first time that I've ever been <laughs> live on a, a Discord with yeah. someone. The, the last time I was uh, directly involved was before Discord was even around. So right, yeah. Uh, what, what? So what's your take, man? Does it bring back memories or like what? Absolutely, is... yeah. And yeah, I mean, just looking at the architectural quality, even of this castle, this is comparable to what was hard coded into the game at launch easily absolutely and i i was watching a video with uh ralph coster it was like probably three or four years ago and he was just going through with like oh yeah i designed this i coded you know uh this mechanism whatever it was and it's amazing how these systems really to the core have not changed you know like yeah. an item sits on this house and then it's locked down like those core concepts you know remain true today no matter what form if it's unofficial or whatever it, it's the same thing yeah. um and it's and, and it's crazy that you know it's still extremely populated obviously it's not you know the millions it once was but i mean it's still you don't feel like you're alone if that makes yeah. sense yeah do you know if any major free shards have attempted to resurrect the ecology system that wasn't able to stay in the official game? What do you mean by that? Like, can you give an example? So during design, Coster had these great ideas for how the ecology of the world would involve uh, grass growing and then herbivores mm. eating the grass and carnivores eating the herbivores, and players killing the carnivores. And for a number of reasons, one of which was the computational resources that it took <laughs> back then being relatively so high, they had to rip that out of the game because it was too costly to have dragons doing radial searches to see where they would go hunt for food. So, but now that, now that computation is so much cheaper, I was wondering whether someone had looked to that and tried to put it back into a version of UO. So that's a very uh, interesting question. I would say, um, I guess I would question whether or not that would matter right now. And this is what I mean. I think because perhaps that system was never implemented or done, people may not really, they don't know what they may be missing, perhaps. Is, yeah. Is, yeah. The best way yeah. to say that. Um, the other thing um, that, you know, kind of plays into that is 
today, I believe, and what you're witnessing right now, and I, I want to show you that because this this good, and I apologize for going back to the other question, but um, the big thing that I think keeps people here is the loot, and I should have said that hmm. the items that drop, right? And this is the the Diablo style, right? I'm gonna hover over it. There we go. Um, I see the the loot right and, and whether it's on a free shot or not it's the same concept it could be different loot different you know style whatever it's this i call it casino style rng and what i mean by that is no matter what experience this is it's the random chance for a rare drop or something like that i i, I view myself and i'm okay with saying this because i feel like i am the hamster on the wheel scenario right where yeah. i'm just i'm spinning just trying to get that little you know piece of cheese that may fall i uh i i enjoy that immensely right um even when i you know like we, they're hunting they just hunted a boss let's say right and they have a chance for perhaps gear to drop or whatever that drives you know i think people to keep playing and then also to naturally have to group up um, which I think, and it'd be interesting to ask uh, Ralph this question, but um, inadvertently UO really did not have these systems to force people to group up in mass numbers like it does now. Mm. Um, what I mean by that is if you remember back in the day, you know, you just took your character, you went to a dungeon, Right, you attack someone, something, killed it, you're done. It's just you, right? Then yeah. you may have, I don't know, four people with you. You're in a group and you defeat things. But there was really truly never a, uh, put this in air quotes, a boss in the sense that there is in traditional MMOs, right? Um, so UO, I think, uh, as it grew, struggled with that concept. Now, Obviously, there are group events, there's bosses. Um, on the free shard, there actually is some shards that actually have a like wow type boss, right? Where it, you need 25 people, almost like a raid, um, mm. and you need to do it successfully. So we have actually seen some very cool uh, you know, design decisions that um, have kind of made UL a little bit into, uh, I would say, a, a normal MMO of today. Um, does that kind of help? Yeah, yeah. Now, in a game like this where PvP isn't overwhelmingly item-based, what do you see as the core skills that make a good, successful PvPer? So, I would say um, for PvP, a lot of it is um, your hotkeys, right? How you have it set up muscle memory and and staying uh calm under pressure and uh, what i mean by that is uh it's prevalent on uh you know free shards or official but like when people see a pk man they just slam the keyboard and panic <laughs> and have no yeah. idea right they get nervous and like oh my god i'm gonna die whatever um on the flip side right as a pk you have to know how am i going to you know, kill this person as fast and efficiently as possible. And that can really widely range depending on, you know, what uh, 
you know shard you're playing on where what system it is etc so um, I think uh, and, and there is a very high uh, skill ceiling to this game even today because you could see one guy defeat you know five over time if that one guy is very competent and knows what he's doing um, and that thrill of the hunt is man that's something that's almost indescribable because it that feeling of just accomplishment is crazy um, and you know we haven't even talked about the thieving system <laughs> which yeah <laughs> in, in itself uh wow that that's you know i'm still surprised that that made the cut back then um <laughs> you know but yeah i i would say that is, in in modern day uo uh and especially on the free shards i would say communication is critical um in timing uh so on most servers and most things let's say this weapon you see i have in my hand right it's a staff mm -hmm. every weapon um has a what's called a swing timer so when it attacks someone it will you know take every three seconds it will hit or have a chance to hit i should say right um perhaps a katana is faster it's 1.5 seconds it has a chance to hit for lower damage but it's faster so you have to just understand and know um those swing times and conversely for a mage you have to know and understand your casting you know range uh casting times what to cast when um i know that sounds very overwhelming just you know describing that to you you know in rapid yeah. fire <laughs> succession but um over time it, it becomes very clear what you're going to cast i mean there's only a, a finite amount of spells right so yeah. you know it, it's it, i think it's it's very clear what you need to do and when it's just uh pulling that off successfully can uh you know there's people that and i and i would tell you i'm a very much so a a novice uh pvp or i'm not very great at it but i'll even have people come to me and say man how do you how do you do that you make it look so easy you know or something i'm like man that's just after 20 years, John Clark, I'd hope, you know, <laughs> you have something yeah. to bring to the table. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and how much of that comes down to your technical skills versus target selection and figuring out how to prime yourself to be in the best position to win a fight? So um, it really depends. Uh, and this... I'd be interested to have this discussion too uh, with the design, which what I mean is there's usually two uh, types of characters. There's a mage in PvP or there's a uh, a dexer or someone that wields a weapon of some sort, whether you know, yeah. it's a bow or whatever. Um, so a dexer struggle is for me to hit a mage... I need to be on top of them to hit unless I have an, uh, a bow or I'm an archer. I can fire yeah. an arrow. But, you know, a dexer and, you know, I have to be right on top of that mage. Now, the mage eventually has to cast. So when he casts, he stops. <laughs> so that's my opportunity. However, mm -hmm. there is a huge um, balancing and design uh, issue that... You can't make one or the other more powerful or else it really throws off, you know, the PvP. Um, and what I mean by that is 
let's say as a Dexer, my you know weapon did too much damage. So mm. I would two hit someone and they they're dead. I land two successful hits and the person's dead. That's probably overpowered, right? The mage has no uh, <clears throat> chance to heal <laughs> or get out of that situation. Yeah. Now on the other side of that, <clears throat> I'll say a mage, uh, their spells never miss. When I'm, you know, to spell that out, if someone casts an energy bolt, um, that doesn't like miss on a dexer. Like it lands every time. So. There's always a back and forth discussion on uh, who's better, what template's better. Honestly, it's whatever you decide you want to play, you can make it work. You just have to understand the limitations of, of the combat. But as rudimentary as all that is, every single fight with someone will be different. It will be because it's not everyone has the same template across the board. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. What's more satisfying to you? Winning sort of a, a straight-up fight where the other person is really good and they know you're coming and you get the better of them or beating someone who might be a little bit better than you but you did something clever and, and ambushed them and, and made it not a fair fight? I think... Uh, for me, the core thing goes the acquisition of that juice, man. You know, if I can, you know, best someone in combat, I really want them to have good loot for me to take. That's my goal. Um, and, and I'm going to explain this more uh, in detail because I, it may be confusing, but it's not. I view consensual PvP and UO as arena style. I call it a snooze fest to get a little, you know... <laughs> real yeah. with you i don't find it exciting when like it's just arena style where you know i know this person is going to attack me and we're fighting and it's just for talking smack right i killed you yeah. last night at 8 p.m you know yeah. who cares <laughs> for me i want hey I, I killed this person and i got a ton of loot off him that's very valuable and i feel like i accomplished it you know, does that kind of yeah. help explain that? Yes. Um, with item insurance now and the shifts in who's playing, why do you think people are putting themselves in a position to be dry looted by you? So why they're doing that is they have no choice. There's no safe net on a free shard where they can't be attacked when they need to farm resources, whether that's gold or, um, you know, uh, wood chopping in the forest. It's all open PvP. Um, so it really forces the people to be on their toes that there is no, you know, safety net of, oh, I can farm here real quick and no one can kill me. It's the thrill of that on the, on the flip side to it, because I do... Uh, you know farm you know monsters I find it exciting that at any given time someone can roll through and attack me and try to kill me <laughs> like yeah. I just find that so exciting because I play you know another MMO and I just sit there and it's like I fall asleep because I'm just <laughs> there's no risk right yeah yeah that, that heart pounding feeling <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's hard to recreate with PvE. 
Now, I want to expand on that real quick. To, to um, sure. If you notice, I'm wearing a headband. Um, during COVID, um, I actually created a guild called uh, Cobra Kai. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with that, John Clark. It is a... Yeah. <laughs> a uh you know one of the best shows of all time okay you know very cheesy cliche lines and i love every second of it now i created a guild like that and 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 it's funny you know when i say this someone asked me one time they're like you know do you role play in the game i'm like no i'm like you know i don't role play that's like those are you know that's for someone who likes to play you know as i don't know a different type of person i'm, I'm not like that and then in my mature age now, I realize I, I'm in a dang role-playing game. <laughs> so by default, I am role-playing. And during COVID, I created this guild you know, called Cobra Kai. And then I was like the sensei. And I would stream with this headband on. And I would PK people uh, <laughs> you know, under the name Johnny Lawrence. And it was just, it was so fun, John Clark. Like, And, and even hearing you laugh about that, I, I think you can get the sense of how yeah. just fun as a freedom of expression as that is right and just to have fun with it you know like it's not serious man we've played this game for 25 years but you know to talk some smack on cam you know to people and stuff uh i really uh enjoyed that yeah so what are we seeing on screen now so this person took me to their house and they decorated it for christmas and it's actually really cool because, you know, on no matter where you play or where you go, um, every house design is different with different items. So you can literally yeah. go to someone's house and be like, man, like, what is that? I've never seen that item, you know, and they could say, oh, I got that, you know, 10 years ago <laughs> during Christmas or something. Um, yeah. And I'm going to zoom in a little bit. And it's just you look at the level of detail for these pixels. Yeah, it's just. It's unbelievable. And on top of that, like this person had to customize this completely to their liking. Um, when I tell you that's very difficult, it's because it is. Like, I would have no clue. Like, if it were me, John Clark, I'd have, you know, chests in the corner with a whole bunch of crap in it, you know, maybe a chair <laughs> in the middle, right? The equivalent of a mattress right on the floor. <laughs> Yes, I think I live out my bachelor fantasy in game, right? <laughs> um, but no, you can see this person. Uh, I'm a I'm a big uh, Christmas person myself, but you know, just seeing how they you know arrange the items and how you have to put an item right like over top something, and um, there also is a, a tool called an interior decorator tool where it'll allow you to manipulate the item, move it up, you know, move it to the side and kind of reposition yeah. it. Man, when I tell you that can take hours, I am not kidding you to make certain items stack on each other to make it look right. Uh, yeah. I, I can just tell you, even talking about it, you know, it stresses me out. I just can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> And I apologize, I was typing in game there. I was telling them what we're doing here. Um, no and, and just this little interaction, John Clark, it, it seems so simple-minded, but to me, it's everything. These tiny interactions where if I'm with a live player, right, 
and we can yeah. I can come up to a table and and we're gonna we're tying into the meta talk even though we're not right i can sit down with someone in game and type whatever it's above their head it feels so personal to me yes you know and then having a headset on seeing what that is like when that comes to fruition and and, and i'm very biased to a medieval type setting by the way clearly <laughs> if that came to that i would be so sold and i think a lot of people would be too yeah Yeah, this is the sort of domestic experience you just can't get in World of Warcraft. Right, and I, it's very difficult to explain that to people. I'm like, I'm not against World of Warcraft. I just think it's a different tailored experience. Like, yeah. it does some things really well, you know, but I, I don't feel it's interactive. You know, like we're... I don't get the same camaraderie I get with, you know, complete strangers that I met for five minutes. Like, and perhaps I'm just getting old. I don't know. But I just love, you know, even sitting around this fire, you know, someone just talking in game is an experience that no other game has really given us. Yeah. And that's what I meant about UO creating a world that people could really inhabit. Yeah. And Atlantic right here has been inhabited in this way we're watching right now for 25 continuous years. That is just hard to believe. We're going to take a pause for the calls here. Ladies and gentlemen, I am sponsored by Wild Bill Soda. Go ahead and go to www.wildbillsoda.com. Enter in code mustache. It will get you a healthy discount on some delicious and refreshing sodas. I've been drinking soda since the 80s, and let me tell you, I ain't never tasted a soda like Wild Bill's uh, does it. And it's pure cane sugar, gluten-free. That's very important to me. Uh, Veteran-owned, of course. Uh, and order the Dr. Bill's. That, that is a family favorite in this household. And uh, it just helps support the stream, keep the lights on. I sincerely appreciate y'all's support. And a strange historical perspective. Well, and, and not only that is, you know, they've... Okay, so... And I apologize for changing. So they're going to take us to a house that's been, I guess, on Atlantic since the beginning is the next place we're going to go to. But oh, that's... That's something to think about how long this person has maintained a house like that and maybe even changed a style in in regards to a real house, right? Like yeah. The same kind of, you know, deal, right? Like someone may update the countertops or whatever it is, right? And the same, you know, thing. Yeah. Let me tell them. So I think my client may have crashed. I wonder if they went to one of the new lands. Mm. And I apologize for doing. I'm doing this kind of on the fly. I'm telling them. No, no problem. I'm gonna try to relaunch it real quick. But you can keep going while I kind of putz around yeah. with this. I apologize. Yeah. So Furcadia <laughs> technically has a somewhat older claim than Ultima to having the first housing-like environments. 
I've heard but, of that, but do you want to give some more detail? Yeah. For Katie, it was the brainchild of Dr. Cat, who actually used to work at Origin. Okay. And it's popular with the fur persona role-playing community. Gotcha. Okay. And, and, and that game has been going for uh, roughly a year longer than UO. Huh. Okay. They had a system, I still have a system called Dreams, where players could edit their own instanced environments and decorate them and make them up like housing. But the key difference was they were not persistent and seamless with the world. Right, because there was a loading screen, right? Right. Right, so you'd kind of go through portals and then could appear in these instanced sub-dimensions that players had created as their domain, but then when right. no one was in it, it was no longer online, and then it could be brought back online, but it, it wasn't part of the same persistent virtual world. Gotcha. So okay. So by that technicality, UO does have the record well and uh it's interesting you mentioned that i wanted to uh let you know this is possible as well this has been done uh it used to be done in osi a lot uh, a lot in the free shards uh, a lot as well people have modified um their clients so the interface looks different than what the server side would want you to see um I don't mean that in a, uh, like, they're hacking type of comment. More so, what I mean by that is, back in the day, you could, let's say, instead of seeing a tree on the screen, you could replace that with a, you know, I don't know, a cow <laughs> or something crazy, right? Mm -hmm. You could do that, uh, if desired. So... That's something and to that keep would, in mind. Would let you see people hiding behind the tree, right? Yeah, but what what I mean to say is that experience would only be um, on that player's client side. It would not replicate to the um, you know world as a whole. Sure. And uh, most of the time, <clears throat> and I've seen uh, one guy do this. So it's kind of cool. He he goes by the online persona as Pop-Tart, as was his original name uh, way back when, and he modified some of the client files. So like his backpack, it like has the, you know, the name Pop-Tart on it. It was really cool, right? Like like he's modified the client in such a way that it, it was really well done. I was like, that's really neat. Um, you know, so there's no telling what other players have done in that regard, but, um, you know, that, that's just kind of a cool, you know, thing to know yeah. about. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to share my screen with you because I got this back up. Hold okay. on. Okay. Uh, let me go here. I was really excited to be able to share this with you, man. So I'm happy this is working Thank out. You. Yeah, this has been great. Because it just kind of helps, you know, see what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let me ask them. All right, so back now. How old is this? And the cool thing, too, about UO, as you're going to see, I pulled up here, is the journal. Yeah. 
So I can view what people have said before, which is really mm -hmm. cool. And, you know, traditionally in an MMO, you just have like this little square, you know, <laughs> box yeah. right down there. Um, this client is very interesting. I can, you know, I'm playing on a, by the way, I'm playing on a 4K monitor and, you know, this game just looks unbelievable with this resolution and the FPS is just, it's outrageous what they've done here. I want to be very clear, and I want to make sure I give this uh, distinction. There are two different clients. There is classic UO in the sense of uh, this is the new, I'm going to put this in air quotes, client that was built from the ground up by a group of people that did this for free. They don't charge for it. That has modernized a lot of this. Um mm. The original client still exists. That runs at like 15 FPS. It's terrible. <laughs> hmm. I can't even play on that because it's like it's like you're stuttering, right? Like it's it's so far behind. Believe it or not, there are still people that play on that client and are okay with it. Um, I've gotten too used to this new client where you can zoom in, you yeah. can zoom out. This is really cool. Oh wow, that's a great view. That's is that something... the is that the maximum zoom we're seeing right now? Yes, this is the maximum zoom, and this is something. When I say new, I mean classic UO is. I don't know if it's a couple years, three years. It's it's not you know old in any sense. This is very new that they did this, and um, the the main problem we had back in the day was the refresh rate, right? Like. You know, my monitor's refresh rate was, you know, 144, but in UO, you got like 30 frames, and it was like you were chugging along, you know? Um, yeah. Now, with this client in particular, I can get, you know, 144 frames easily, and it's like I am moving. And it's funny, when people see how smooth it is to run around, they're like, how are you doing that? Because if you remember back in the day, it was like <laughs> you were, you know, chugging <laughs> along, yeah. right um so that's just kind of interesting uh, you know it, and i really wanted to show this off to like ralph and a couple of these other guys that probably have no idea this exists and they would probably be like amazed that someone yeah. has done this right for free don't charge for it just because they have that much passion for it yeah so this house we're in now that she's uh, I think it's a, yeah she said she's had for fifteen years this particular house and you can see I know you mentioned the piano right the evolution of the piano yeah. <laughs> we have a real one right and I can real sit. one <laughs> do you personally know any of the uh, multi generation Ultima families? People who started with the parent and then the, the children taking it up So later. it's very interesting. Um, I have not seen an actual family that has played like um, together that still actively plays. I, I, I've heard, and this is uh, extremely common, where someone will say, oh, yeah, you know, me and my dad or me and my brother played, you know. 10, you know, 15, 20 years ago, but now I just play still. No one else really plays. 
Um, so that's a common kind of uh, comment. I, I really haven't seen it, it, I mean, I'm sure it exists. I haven't really seen a full, um, you know, family type style playing this. Um, I will tell you, um, I tried to have my son play this during um, COVID. I tried to get him involved and <laughs> you're going to probably laugh at this. He plays Minecraft, right? And he's okay with the blocky thing. He told me, Dad, these graphics just seem too old. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, son, you play a block game where there's literally <laughs> pixel polygon blocks. Um, in either case, uh, we tried. But, yeah, he just he couldn't really get into it. And then mm-hmm. um, this kind of answers some of the questions you had before. Do you know how difficult it is to describe to someone how to play UO? It's very hard. Yeah. Um, just the learning curve where like I remember my son like went out and he's like, How do I heal myself? I'm like, Oh, just use the bandages. He's like, Well, what do you mean? You have to double hook the bandage, click yourself. <laughs> like things yeah. I took for granted where I'm like, Well, that's easy, everyone knows it. No, it's not, you know easy and people don't understand it and i think that's one of the core um i think issues that uh uo has currently but i think for its time the interface was actually remarkably smooth and intuitive you know the industry has come a long way you know i don't know how to reply to that because I feel like I was thrown to the wolves in this game that I had no idea, and I figured it out, right? And I am by no stretch a you know rocket scientist because I'm not. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I like the interface, but again, I'm extremely biased in the fact that you know I, I think it makes sense to me. But then again, I've played for over 20 years, so you know I look at other systems though, like wow and stuff and i'm like this interface is terrible because as arduous as it is to single click or you know zoom in on this exact little tile to move that that makes sense to me yeah like and and to be able to move an object in my world real time like i i say to myself why doesn't every other game have that you know (laughs) right like that's that's how i view it I apologize, I was typing there too, so... No problem. Okay, we're gonna go next door, I guess, you're saying. Okay. I'm conscious of the time too, so I apologize, I don't want to try to burn. No, I'm... I'm absolutely fine in that. But my goal in doing this was... When you're writing said article, you can reference this, the experience that you saw here as you're writing it to give you a yeah. real life example of this. So you could kind of say in your head, okay, I get it, right? Like why why do these old you know people <laughs> play this game for so long? <laughs> now, I'll tell you uh, something very interesting um, that I have uh, never seen before. Um, in, in the history of me playing UO was on the free shards during COVID. I saw actual new players come to a free shard 
um, which I found astounding. I was like, what? And um, I remember talking, uh, this guy was a, a, a player killer. All he did was run around with a spear and, and, and kill people. And I ended up befriending him. We started talking and I, I talked to him and I was like, hey man, like, you know, have you ever played before? So he goes, nope, never played before. My brother plays. He told me to log in. He's like, I just started logging and killing people. And that's all I do. <laughs> and <laughs> and sure enough, he would log in, run his route around the world, kill people. And that was it. And I was just shocked where I'm like, you've never played UO before, like ever back in the day. He's like, nope, never. And um, I think on the official servers, they saw a resurgence of people as well checking it out because um, UO has this really weird like thing where it'll kind of come up in, in spurts where people will hear about it and be like, what is that? Or, you know, I want to check it out. And now that the official servers have, you know, uh, it's called Endless Journey, but it's like, you know, kind of free to play. You can at least now yeah. log in, right? And just look around yourself for free. Mm -hmm. Would you say most of the free shards have gone for the relatively more neon look of <laughs> later Euro or, or that stunning paper doll you sent me with the uh, multi-chromatic <laughs> armor? Or, or are there some popular ones that have hewed to a more medieval aesthetic? Okay, something just crossed my mind. Uh, it's gonna be longer than that. I apologize. I'm gonna pause for a second. I'm gonna answer your question. Yeah. It says this account is 62 months old, but I don't know if that calculates. That that may be right. I don't know. If this is my original account from back. I don't know. Okay. In any That'd case, be, uh, just over five years. Yeah. So I don't think this is not my original account, but I don't know if it does it by player or. But anyway, in any case, uh, I I got sidetracked. Um, to answer your question, uh, thank the Lord, the neon phase I think is is over in most uh, free shards because it was a damn abomination. It you know. Uh, I, I couldn't stand uh, that kind of look. Um, to go into uh, people's uh, dress in the game, I want to explain something here. People's paper doll and how you look um, is everything. And what I mean by that is, like, you know, different clothing, different items, uh, different outfits, whatever, can cost, you know, outrageous amounts of money. So it, it's it's almost a status thing. So very yeah. much so like a uh real life example you know this guy's got gucci shoes and a louis vuitton shirt or whatever right he must be you know really rich the same concept applies in game and people you know want to look good and they want to have their own style and you know for instance you know my character uh when i when i pk'd a lot on stream I, his name was johnny lawrence and he had a headband like i wear in game and it's just like a personal representation of yourself in the game. And it's just, uh, it means a lot uh, to people um, that, you know, where if you play a game like, uh, I know we reference World of Warcraft, but any other MMO, clothing yeah. is, is really just uh, pointless, right? It doesn't really mean much, 
Is that fair to yeah. say? Nowhere, I think nowhere near the level of customizability. I I wouldn't be surprised doing some back of the envelope math in terms of <laughs> uh, color values if there were billions of combinations. Yes, for how could... the different hues that exist. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, there's usually a tool that will show like the hue number um, of uh, you know an item, and there are so many. I mean, you can see the different colors here. Um, yeah. You know that there are so many different um, possibilities, and then to go into like people's uh, you know paper doll, it's outrageous. Like I, I mean, clearly in this character, I don't know what I was thinking, but I have no, I have absolutely no fashion uh, sense whatsoever. Um, and you know, it, it's funny when I, when I play and I need someone to, you know, do my outfit, I'll literally go to someone who looks like really cool in game and I'll say, Hey, here's my budget. <laughs> Can you make me look cool? You know, literally that's what I'll say. Yeah. And they're like, okay, buy this, this, and this, and here's the color you can pick out. And, you know, a lot of people do that because it is very, uh, it can be very cumbersome to create it because there's so many different options. So when I see like UO and then I go to a character creation in another game, I'm like, this is, this is like <laughs> not even close. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm just looking at this person's house. They said, this is kind of their crafting house and they can craft all their stuff in here and you look and i you know i i, I almost get amazed myself every time i look at it but you just look at the level of detail of these different items i mean it's just is crazy is that a is that a statue in the valorite plate or a player i can't that tell. is a mannequin <laughs> oh there we go <laughs> um I, I knew i knew it couldn't be a real player <laughs> wearing something that unadorned <laughs> now see yeah that that is true because yes yeah, i mean you look at these people they've been playing i mean they just got you know crazy stuff that i don't even know what half it means i just appreciate though um like the decor like to me and i'm a sucker for christmas but like the garland wreaths over there like that's just yeah. that is so cool you know like the and to place that on the floor and then to move it up to position it in such a way <laughs> and these two these flowers right the, these roses they had to place on top of each other and raise them you know what i'm saying like that's that requires a lot of uh ingenuity and tinkering yeah and one thing that's noteworthy about all this is collectively the aesthetics of all these homes often clash collectively oh, yeah. if you look at a cluster of player homes and castles they don't make lore sense by any stretch no um and, and that's a relinquishment of power by the devs that is counterintuitive because you'd think they'd want to keep the world feeling on brand. But it turned out this is the thing 
among a few others, that is keeping people in the game for 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> um. And I, I don't know that they would have quite that same attraction if it were merely the field stone small houses of 1997. Hold on, let me tell you that. So, I, I view it as, uh, like... In your neighborhood, the one guy, you don't have an HOA, and the one guy paints his house pink, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and that is very apparent um, in, you know, this game where you can have someone with uh, very eclectic, you know, uh, decor or, you know, um, someone who is extremely OCD and organized. Um, it, it can get... And I think this is, and you may know, talking to Ralph or whoever, but I think they just simply didn't have enough time to address some of those key issues because there were so many other fish to fry, I think. You know, like, they just didn't have time. <laughs> just to clarify. Um, so, like, for instance, if they wanted to stay, I'm going to put this in air quotes, on brand, um, oh. to say, I want all houses to, you know, look a certain way inside right that may yeah. have been a discussion point but there's no way they could have controlled it once it was out of the bag right and people are just <laughs> making you know different yeah stuff. that was in direct conflict with player freedom those right. things are mutually exclusive in a zero-sum way yes and it's fascinating that the decision they ultimately made has paid off in the way it has, that people, despite it not being justifiable for lore reasons, are, are able to feel such investment in, in what they have created from scratch. Yeah, and, and I think it was uh, no one ever expected... Um, for I think this game to be as customized as it was, um, at least I remember my first house uh, was a log cabin type uh, house. And I remember I had neighbors and they were super nice people. And I, um, you know, asked them, hey, could you make me some chests? And they simply took the chests and kind of like you see in this corner here and just stacked them up for me. And it was just awesome that i had you know a little house and my little decor and i mean i think back then i was you know shoot i don't know you know 16 17 like i thought yeah. it, i thought it was so cool but i had zero decoration sense but there were people that we have to remember back then you know high speed wasn't really all that um you know apparent back then and for people to deco it was actually really cool because you could yeah. be on dial up right and deco your house and you know who cares you do combat doesn't matter you can sit there and and just relax and do it and i think there is a sense of uh relaxing sense at least that i get sometimes where i can you know sit in my house in a chair on a table virtually and just relax even when i'm having a real life cup of coffee yeah it, it's very hard to explain that to you but i will say and I know I keep referencing the metaverse because I want it to happen so bad. Just thinking of that with a headset on is so attractive to me. And I don't, I don't think we're going to be there for another, I would say, three to five years personally to where I want yeah. it to be. But 
I yeah. think it's coming. And like to be able to sit like in a house, like I imagine myself, you know, zoomed in in real life in a house with a headset on seeing all this would just be so incredible, right? Like to see what people create and do. Um, and I think that's another driving force, you know, reason why people keep coming back to this game is the the pixels that they've created and how they represent themselves with them is you know to me very interesting because i've met you know player killers that are the nicest people right outside of the game you'll ever meet but in the game they are the most ruthless players alive right yeah Okay, I also wanted to expand on that, John Clark. I apologize because um, I wrote sure. this in my notes. So, um, and I know this was this was question number seven. You were talking about um, as population density on non-Atlantic servers and even Atlantic, by the way, you know, have yeah. declined. Um, what have you observed about the effects on player interactions? And what are some ideas? So, I wanted to counter that whole statement with. Um, there are a subset of players that do not like playing populated servers at all. Um, they actually enjoy a more solo experience um, and they don't want to deal with um, overcrowding, uh, population issues, stuff like that. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there because it it is niche of niche <laughs> for sure. Not everyone's like that. Um, but yeah. there are some players that are like that. And I would say, unfortunately, uh, you know, for UO, merging a shard, I think, is damn near impossible um, because of the, you know, creativity that has lended to the players where you couldn't merge a shard because this house would exist in another shard, you know, and there wouldn't be space for that. Um, you know, so I think that brings up a very uh, di difficult design decision on what do the devs uh, do. And I think what they have done, at least with Atlantic, is with the ability to transfer to another shard, right, you can just transfer where you want to go. Take your character and your stuff with you. Not your house, but at least your stuff, right, yeah. with you. Um, so I think that's kind of a countermeasure, but... Um, I think uh, the COVID time it was very peculiar because that statement is like, well, there's a lot of, and what I mean is there's just a lot of new people that are still coming and old people that are returning. So it's, it's hard for me to uh, say a decline has occurred, at least in the free shards. And I would feel very strongly with saying, even on OSI, um, I don't think there's been a decline because... Like on Atlantic, for instance, there's really no spots open to place a house. It's full, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, and these worlds or, you know, facets or whatever are, are not small. Um, you know, there are people that have to log in to refresh their house and have a subscription. So, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I don't believe there's that many people dumping 15 bucks a month, you know, and not actively doing anything i don't know that's my opinion at least well my point of comparison is just to say the age of shadows era 2003 ah uh, 
So back then, when things were very much more congested, that had implications for the kinds of gameplay that you could engage in. For example, yes. If, if you want to be a beggar in town and role-play begging, that's hard to do if there are only two people at the bank. I'm going to show you something to answer that. Uh, yeah. So, um, this is the most populated, you know, again, shard, right? I just asked her to gate me to um, the Britain Bank in Trammel. Okay, now, let's... You know, uh, uh, okay, maybe. Oh, there we go. Okay, so <laughs> this is Brit Bank, right? Um, really, n no one is really here. When, when did they put all that stuff on top? Good question. I don't know when they redesigned it to look exactly like this. However, I'll say um, a lot of people, though, hang out in other areas. And what I've learned is the bank is not um, as popular as it once was for, you know, a hangout place or to show off. Um, because back in the day, it's more apparent on free shards because it's smaller, the shard, the, the world size. But um, a lot of people will come to the bank, you know, go AFK, but keep their character you know, sitting here to show off their, you know, um, items or whatever it is. And um, you said an item um, that really piqued my interest because I was obsessed with it was the glacial staff. <laughs> yeah. And man, I, it's it still makes me mad to this day. I never got one to drop off the dang serpents, but I, I remember like it was yesterday, the ice serpents, um, you had to kill yeah. them and it was a random uh, drop right and i never could get one and man i would go to the brit bank and see these you know people with all these staffs and it made me so mad you know because I, like, I couldn't get one because they were really expensive um yeah you know back then but my point in telling you that is that's where people would show off you know so yeah there, there was a while where the uniform for the elite was uh ranger armor black sandals true black sandals yes. on a glacier yeah. Um, let me see. <laughs> I just asked him if we could see one, uh, just because it holds such fond memories. But I do remember not only that, the Ranger armor was super uh, rare as well. And some of these items you could get off, uh, like... When the server came online, there was rares you could steal. And I think the black sandals yeah. you stole in Delusia off uh, one of the NPCs, I think. Mm. Gosh, I don't remember. But in any case, yeah, there's so many little details like that um, that, you know, you just don't find in these other games. Yeah. Okay, they're going to check if they can find a glacial staff. Okay. See, it's so old. <laughs> They probably don't even have it. <laughs> Maybe we're old, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> I just find it interesting how that aesthetic shift has been so gradual and inexorable. Yeah. Yeah, well, and as time has gone on, uh, this is an interesting parallel uh, to draw. Um, and I think it's worth mentioning. We talked about Platinum 
I think is the yeah. highest form of currency here. And as you can imagine, inflation in this game has, you know, skyrocketed because of the amount of time. Because it's very hard how to you how do you control that in this game? And now talking to server owners, you know, and I think one of the same with with you know the official servers too is you have to try to get people to spend money, right, in some way. And yeah. the reason you want them to do that is so they have to then farm more, <laughs> you know, and it keeps it healthy. Okay, so hold on. Yep. Let me see. I think this person has one. Let me ask. Yeah, I, I saw they had it equipped. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Glacial staff. There it is. Um, so, you know, you can kind of see how how do you control that? And, and the server owners and free shards have done incredible things in terms of uh, lottos, giveaways to try to, and they're called gold sinks, right? To yeah. get people to spend. Now, every owner will tell you the problem is there are hoarders. <laughs> there are people that will not spend a dime no matter what. And, and they just hoard all, everything, right? <laughs> and there's no way to avoid that scenario. And I think what happened to UO post-mortem is over 25 years, there were just so many people that did that, right? They just didn't spend money. They just saved it and collected items. And what we're seeing on the free shards is how do they try to combat that, right? Like with item values, housing prices, uh, it's, uh, I would say, and, and I'm no, you know, academic uh, anything, but it would be a really fascinating study to see like, you know, actual numbers of, okay, these items have skyrocketed in the last week. Can, can we combat that? Similar to what the feds do, right? Maybe perhaps a bad yes. job right now, but <laughs> in any case, you know, how they try to, to you know, reduce that, it, it, it's the same concept in game. Um, and yes. I don't know, I, I just find that very interesting. Absolutely. Well, I think the attempt to introduce more gold sinks played a direct role in that aesthetic shift. So, for example, the neon hair dye was right. a great a great way to suck <laughs> half a million gold a pop out of the economy. Right. But it meant suddenly everyone's walking around looking like they're at a, a punk concert <laughs> but the and not in yeah. medieval England. Yeah. I know. And I, I think I really feel for the devs, uh, no matter what era it is, right, that how hard was it to make those decisions to try to balance that out? Like, I mean, yeah. I, I view it as, uh, you know, impossible, right? There, There is no, I think, right answer um, to that scenario, in my opinion. You know, we can poke fun that, yeah, the, the neon stuff was just ridiculous, but hey, you know, anything to help the economy, I am <laughs> totally down for. Um, <laughs> So, and it's very funny what's happening in game now. We, we met this guy. He just walked. I don't know who this is, Corey. And he, we said, hello. And he goes, I'm very drunk right now. <laughs> and it's just, you know, little things like that, man, that just, uh, I don't know. It makes you laugh. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's fun. Part of the experience. Whose statue is that in black on the left of your screen? 
Uh, oh, let's go check this out. Yeah. Let me tell them. Yeah. Okay, let's walk over. Shit, I'm gonna ask them. Um, let's see what they say, because I'm not familiar with who is that a representation of. Maybe it would say on the sign. Let's see. This movie was summoned forth by the Britain Mage Guild, unless he's the leader of the Britain Mage Guild, perhaps? Hmm. Generic statue. Uh, the sign said. Okay, so they don't think it's anyone specifically, but. Okay. Um, it seems like that, and I think this is just a regular moon gate, yeah, that you can travel around. Right. So that, I mean, you can tell too, three, four, five, you know, six different lands, <laughs> right, you can go to. Let's yeah. see if we can go to the original uh, Lord British's castle, which I think we can get Great. into. Um, now, a burning question of mine that I have that, I, you know, you're not going to be able to answer, and that's okay. No one has been able to answer. If you remember, there was a guy named Reigns that killed Lord British. Yes. I have never been able to track or find that person on who they are. It's always been shrouded in mystery to me. Um, if they're even still alive, I have no idea. Um, but here is really the spot. <laughs> yes. Where it happened. Um, and wow this just brings back such fond memories to me i apologize for pausing for a second it's just yes this is history yeah oh yeah okay they're saying this was the original throne room yes so, yeah. <laughs> so i guess this person said they talked to uh, Lord British at some point. He must have made an appearance to talk to people. Because, see, yes. I think um, those interactions were so special that, you know, he, he went into it when I talked to him a few times. Um, but, like, I love hearing those stories, you know, of Gary just talking to people in the game. Like, those are just such organic conversations, right? Yeah. That, I don't know, just, you know, really special in my mind. Like, how cool is that, right? <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, and I apologize we got sidetracked. We can keep... Uh... <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, let's see. What have I missed? Um, okay. I wanted to talk about the um, some of the struggles that I've seen with UO. And this, this is going to play into probably question number eight, the outlook. Um, yeah. So here, here's what happened, uh, like, you know, Cliff Notes version. Um, and official servers, they announced, this was right before COVID uh, hit, they announced they were doing something called New Legacy. And that was going to be a Feluca-only, um, you know, ex experience slash shard that was going to be seasonal which really piqued my interest. Um, they, they didn't give too many details, and as years went on, um, they kept kind of teasing it, like, hey, it's coming out, it's coming out. 
and we haven't really heard much about it uh, lately. I don't think it's, the project's been scrapped, but um, I'm very interested to see if they come out with that or what you know comes of it because I told myself if they release something like that, I would play it. I would give it a shot because there's a feeling on the official servers, like I said, it's a fair and even keel you know, playing field to me. That's what I feel like. Uh, mm -hmm. Whether that's true or not, who knows. But most people agree that's what it feels like. Um, now, what we've been told is like, because the whole community, by the way, begs for like an old school server. Like bring back pre-AOS yeah. Pub16, you know, server. And and they, they always say, no, we don't have the code. We can't do it. And it's always a head scratcher because <laughs> there's free shards that exist that do that, right? <laughs> so um, I won't, you know, I won't really get into that, but you can draw your own conclusions on what you think of that statement, right? Um, because I always said, if they brought back a old school classic server like that, it would be so successful because every one of those experiences that players like me we have to go to free shards which is ran by you know whoever and you're at the will of them on a corporate structure people would much prefer that yeah. <laughs> this is the nicest way yeah. to say it yeah <laughs> i imagine the one difference in the challenges broadsword would face is from a technical perspective they have to keep continuity with what they've done in the past and reassembling that code in a secure way would likely be more of a challenge. Not insurmountable, but significantly more of a challenge than someone kind of cobbling something together from scratch as, as their vision for what a retro experience could be so i'll say this and again people can draw whatever conclusion they like you know we've had a team of volunteers that rebuilt the entire client literally from ground up to modernize it for free my question would be you know is it a resource constraint for the official servers is it a technical one what is the holdup for modernizing some of the systems and things that are begging to be um brought to 2022 standards because why i told you about that client is the client i'm using right now isn't i'm gonna put this in air quotes officially supported <laughs> um, yeah. which again crazy to me because we've seen you know this team of volunteers, and I believe the guy that created it, um, I was trying to message him today because you know I'd like to give people credit where it's due. But they have a Discord for Classic UO, and um, they've done such a you know phenomenal job. His name is Karasho, uh, is his name. I believe he's the uh, creator of this client. But um, my point is, these guys have done it for free, right? Like you know, and on the free shards. They have cre actually created items out of thin air, like, you know, just, hey, I want a this in the game. And they've put the money into it to get these items created. Um, I know certain things are possible. So 
I feel yeah. like, you know, I, I just, I beg for more, if that's fair, right? <laughs> sure. Sure. I think the issue just becomes over time, the code becomes what they call spaghetti code, where yes. there are so many patchwork changes that become interlinked it becomes very difficult technically and therefore time consuming and resource intensive right to change something without ruining all of those dependencies and i'm going to say they've been through so many changes as a company right that yeah. There's no, I mean, I, I've worked in corporate environments, and let me tell you, uh, most places are built out of toothpicks, right? <laughs> it's the yeah. underbelly of most organizations. But, you know, I'm assuming, you know, who knows if they even have certain code or, if, or you know, I have a feeling it's what you said. It, it, there's a lot of uh, tangled webs <laughs> in certain things yeah, I mean, and systems. Yeah. Technically, it would probably be easier for them to just recode the whole thing from the ground up. <laughs> yes. But, but it, it's, uh, I think last I saw something like three people with their hands actively on right. the code. Yeah. And that's just a huge ask when they're also having to maintain the production shards and keep everything going that players are used to. Now, I'll say this too. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard this a few times that... Um, you know, Garriott has shown interest every couple of years to buy it back. Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard that. Now, I, you know, he he told me that, you know, and I take it for face value. And I always wonder in my mind, you know, would they, you know, why don't they just, you know, sell it? I, you know, I, there's so many questions behind that statement that, you know. It, as an active player, I can tell you it kind of frustrates me because I'd much rather see him take the reins and maybe put some money behind it to try to, you know, resurrect it. But at the same time, is it past its prime? I don't know. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> it's a, that's a hard one. But what's your what's your sense about player expectations of the outlook going forward five or ten years do people feel confident that the game is sustainable at the current size or does it feel like it's a downward sloping glide path so my answer uh would have been different before i talked to uh the guy I did who plays osi actively because i thought it was more of a um downward slope based on uh the outside looking in dev work to give them credit however um he told me he said you know actually the devs are very involved with events in the game so yeah. i found that very interesting because i was like okay um because i wanted to talk to him to counter my arguments what a lot of us have and he did and it was very well done and he said you know when we have monthly events or uh, they were just talking a game about a tavern night or whatever he's like you know the devs like come on there and, and actively participate with us. And he said during the 25th anniversary, there were tons of mini games and different events they did and gave out rares and one of a kind items. So um, my answer to you is I feel like the future for UO is, I would say, steady. Um, it's hard for me to say, you know, bright or, you know, it's going to be unbelievable the next five years. I think that's very much unknown. Um, sure. 
However, I feel like it's very secure and stable. I don't feel like this game is going to go anywhere. Um, and I don't feel like, you know, the official servers are going to shut down anytime soon. There's no way. Um, I feel like they have enough subscriptions to at least keep the lights on. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I don't feel there's a significant cost thing going on or maintenance where it's like, hey, we don't have enough accounts to keep this thing going. No, no way. Um, I feel like they are very secure. And I think uh, the pain points would be, you know, maybe content wise. It's been a while since they've had a uh, release of anything significant in terms of like expansions. But um, I don't know if we'll ever see that again. However, um as you know, somebody who talks to all walks of life for UO, um, the general consensus is any publicity, anything good is good for everyone as a whole. Um, and uh, mainly when you contacted me, I was just excited. I was like, wow, this could be a chance to just expose UO to people that may have no idea why we are so enamored with this game, right? Or like where these systems came from. And I think um, just in the couple years I've done the podcast, I've been excited on the future of UO because I keep opening doors that I never thought were possible to, to keep the exposure going on the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because, you know, let, let's, you know, let's be honest, right? Like we're not, I'm not doing this to, <laughs> it's not my full-time job. We're not making, <laughs> you know, any <laughs> sort of, you know, compensation for this. I mean, let, you know, people think I do, I guess, but it's not, <laughs> not the truth. Um, the, the point of this is to really just, you know, show people why this game is so special and really to attract people to play it. You know, my hope is um, even listening to this, reading your article, I know there's someone that's going to be like, I wonder what, what is that? You know, and, and just Google's Ultima Online and finds, you know, whatever, and they'll find the content. It still exists. And I hope that, you know, they actually give it a shot and just try it just to see, you know, what it was like. And the thing, too, that's striking about it is because Atlantic here has been extant for 25 years it's very real to talk about this as a place rather than an activity or a game yeah that's interesting you you, you actually said it like that um that i've and that's true i view uo as a experience to be honest um it, it's it's way more than a on rails game where okay i'm gonna log in i'm gonna level up right or i'm going to acquire this piece of gear um uo is one of the few experiences i can play where i can not progress my character in any way and still have a great time um and i can give you uh an example and i'll send you after this a few clips um so sure. During, um, and I'm going to give you a little bit of my resume, John Clark, just so All you right. know who you're talking to. Okay. Um, with it. So I am a two-time uh, karate champion in Ultima Online. Um, my my first claim to fame is on Hybrid. I uh, was I defeated uh, Ryan in a one-on-one -on -one wrestling match. Um, what's so special about wrestling and/or karate type of uh, events in UO? When I talk to Star Long, 
he told me that they actually did have a like WWF inspired wrestling match. Yeah, the Hulkster. Yes, way back in the day. And that was so cool when he told me that. I was like, all right, so I know I'm basically keeping this candle lit. <laughs> right? So during <laughs> COVID, great. I was, you know, I was Johnny Lawrence, leader of Cobra Kai. And um, one of the content creators, I uh, get names Star Gaming, and he plays one of the free shards that I do. He hosted a Avadon karate tournament, right? There was 20 people that entered, of course, you know, I entered. And you basically just, you know, wrestle each other. Uh, you get to use like one bandage and one healing potion. And it's kind of RNG, how, how hard you hit or whatever. Everyone has kind of the same template. And uh, I went through all the rounds and it was so special to be Johnny Lawrence fighting and the crowd, people are saying, sweep the leg. <laughs> Comments like that, man, make the game just so special that I, it, it's hard to describe. But in any case, I ended up winning that tournament. Um, so... I am back-to-back -back champion on multiple shards. Uh, for Congratulations. Yes, and that, you know, it sounds very silly, but it is extremely meaningful. And what I mean by that is people remember events in this game very well and what happened. And big stuff like that, when you put it on a grand stage like that, um, it, it means a lot. Um, and the, the amount of smack talk, right, um, it was just unbelievable, including myself, because I like to, you know, be boastful yeah. and pump my chest up like anyone else. And that's just part of it. That's what makes this game so fun. So hopefully that helps you understand just, you know, <laughs> more about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, moments like Sweep the Leg are emblematic <laughs> of how much of the game is actually going on in people's heads. Yeah. And again, to be able to role play someone you know, that you see on TV in a almost one-for-one -one way in the game is just, I mean, it's out of this world. You know, I, I will say my time, you know, when we had unlimited free time, it, it, you know, it was funny. During COVID, it was almost like we were transported back to like 97 to 99, where yeah. you had all this free time, everyone's home, everyone's losing their mind, and we could just sink our teeth into uo and it was like for a lot of people uo turned into very much so kind of our real world for a long time because you yeah. know while the world was you know upside down in uo you could have interactions like this and relax and you know kind of de-stress and you know it can be whatever you want it to be you know no social distancing necessary <laughs> that's right you know and um it, it was, I think, very therapeutic for many people in a real way that probably will never be able to be measured. But I can just tell you for sure it helped a lot of people. I believe it. Okay, what else do you have for me, John Clark? What else can I oh, answer? All right. I, I, one thing I wanted to loop back around on was the issue of governance on the gray shards okay we were just starting to get into the challenges that the people running them have faced governance wise yeah and where have they maybe reluctantly come to some of the same conclusions that origin did 
in terms of how they set incentives around player behavior and mediate disputes and respond to feedback and those things. Okay, so um, I would say most of the free shards have some sort of rules posted, like OSI does, right? Where um, you can't use hate speech or you can't, um, some have, you can't grief in a certain way or, you, you know, there, there's different um, items that they have as rules. The problem um, with governance of this is um, enforcement of the rules. <laughs> Who enforces them? What are the consequences? And is it ever public? So majority of the time, we don't know. We know someone may get banned from the server. We know there may be um, controversy. Someone could be jailed. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, I hate to say gray area, um, you know, <laughs> but it really is. Um, you know, how do they handle that is very, um, you know, up to the server owner. And that really loops back to the primary problem, who, who's running it. <laughs> I say problem because it's not always a universal truth where, okay, I said a bad word, I'm jailed for two days. And it's absolute, right? Fine. Yeah. Got it. But in reality, it's, um, you know, basically this person said a naughty word, I reported him, um, but we have no idea uh, what happened behind the scenes. Did he get muted? Did he get kicked? You know, no one knows, right? It's, it's ambiguous yeah. what happens. But what that leads to is sometimes uh, dissent and a non-trusting of, you know, the owner or the policies. And, and this is right up your alley with governance, right? Like change control, something failed. Well, here's the change control. Everyone approved it. This was a risk we knew was going to happen. <laughs> with, you know, this, well, we made a change and it was an epic fail, but who cares? We're just going to revert it or people have to deal with it, right? There's like no systems or processes that help you know i guess mitigate some of those risks and the non um how should i word it like we don't know how many people were banned and for what reason that's not public you you can only speculate right um so that that kind of becomes an issue um some of the things that i think they both had to balance no matter what is i think pvp um that is i would say where there's pvm there's pvp they're hand in hand and how you balance the sheeps and the wolves is we could probably sit here for another four hours and debate that yeah um and really that's not um been a solvable thing that someone has done and you could say hey do it this way and everyone's happy right it's never the case yeah. um the common issue with free shards since there's only one facet it's just feluca based is i don't want it to be too punishing for the people that are farming 
However, I want there to be enough risk where someone can't just farm freely for eight hours a day and just, you know, have no risk versus reward. Yeah. That's a very complex issue to solve that I think, whether it's 1997 or 2022, whether you're on official or non-official shards, that is a tough balancing act because I think on the official servers, they incentivize Feluca for either drops or, you know, uh, power scrolls. There's incentives to, you know, farm there because you get better yeah. loot, right? It makes mm -hmm. sense. But it's a very fine balance because you never want a player logging in and getting punished so hard that they just log out and say, well, uh, this is too punishing, right? So, yeah. Hopefully that answers what you're looking for. Yes. Well, one thing that was interesting about that was in talking to Graf Koster today, we were talking about the technology for dashboarding, for creating systems so the developers can monitor what's going on in the game world and yeah. see the stocks and flows of the economy and how many kills people are racking up and all those things. When UO first shipped in 97, the tools for that were very primitive and they had to build them up in response to the need that they hadn't fully anticipated. <laughs> right. Are you aware of people running gray shards, building up more robust dashboarding tools to monitor those aspects of what's going on on those shards and use that information to make better decisions? So yes, uh, I am aware that, um, for one, I know uh, on the shard that I play, like they have a player count. That sounds stupid, but <laughs> that's a huge thing for them to, they post that they're able to see that. Um, the other thing is yeah. they can tell, for instance, like um, there'll be a, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a discussion of like... Uh, Oh, there's uh, too many PKs in the world or whatever. I'm getting, you know, PK'd so much. And then the owner will pull up and say, actually, there's only 15 red players online currently. And there's, you know, a thousand blues <laughs> that are online. And he'll be like, you know, that's not the case, right? Like, so it's really cool. I, I don't know all of, yeah. you know, the tools they have, but... Um, it's considerably more than they did, I think, back in the day, because they can tell, and they can also, something really cool, for instance, let's say I took this item, and, you know, I put it on the ground, and this player picked it up. Um, I'm pretty sure it's the case in OSI as well, but they can track this item, and they can kind of track to see whose backpack it went into. There is logging that happens, audit, yeah. audited events. Um, the problem becomes, I think, and uh, we'll maybe get a little in the weeds for a second, but like, how do you, you know, have an audit trail for all these? I mean, if you look pixel by pixel, right? How do you audit all of that? And then not only how do you um, audit it, how do you then go back and sort through that? How do you see that Scott Steiner, can I sort through that? You know, like, can I search his name yeah. and then see the object ID? Um, I think that's very difficult in UO. I don't know um, the true answer of how they actually sort through that. Um, I'm used to in a tech world, like, you know, there's tools that input 
thousands of log files and then you can sort through it very easily and fast. I don't know how that works on the back end uh, for UO, but I would assume it, it's way more advanced because I know we referenced um, people selling gold, uh, I'm going to say illegally, <laughs> but yeah. um, when they do that, they are able to track uh, the checks. So like this check I have in my backpack, they could check to see where that was generated, where it came from, and then kind of peel back the layers to see, did he obtain this in good faith or whatever? So yeah. definitely it has improved in my opinion. Good to hear. And finally, since uh, you've been very generous with your time, uh, from your two decades in this game, I'd love to hear some reflections on how it's changed your views on life or politics more broadly. The, the human interactions that you've seen in the game influencing maybe how you look at the world outside the game. Man, uh... John Clark, you touched on a very interesting topic I'm very passionate about. Um, I really like politics. Um, <laughs> I found this out recently. It's probably why I like it so much. Um, I guess I have, I don't know if it's a cousin, someone in my extended family um, in a, another country is uh, very much so in the upper politics realm of that. And I think that's maybe where my passion comes from. Mm. Um, with UO, um, and first I want to I wanna establish this because... Um, we may get into a, a, a quote-unquote gray, gray area of our own, um, but I was at my barber shop, and he loves when I introduce myself as this because it, I really break <laughs> a lot of molds. <laughs> um, during COVID, uh, after the world returned to somewhat normal, um, I came in there, and I was like, yeah, I was like, um, my barber was like, well, because I talked to him on Facebook. He's like, explain to everyone who you are. And there was a room full of, you know, and again, I'm in Texas, Assume what you want. I'm in, you know, red country for sure. So I'm sitting there yeah. in my barbershop and I said, well, I said, I'm a conservative mask wearing person who chose not to get a vaccine. Mm. <laughs> and John Clark, people's brains, I think, exploded because I didn't fit <laughs> in like, you know, the box, right? Like, yeah. oh, well, you're this way, so you should be this you know part and i'm like dude i'm a free thinker i you know come to my own conclusions and i do my own you know research and i am very much a proponent of freedom of choice right um and many things and in uo um i have had to interact with people from all different spectrums uh from a political stance like die hard you know red or die hard blue or you know you had to be careful like kind of what you said and i always approached it um and the, and you may find this interesting because i think this is a lost art form um but i always said i really view freedom of speech as you know everyone needs to be able to have it and use it you should be able to respect the person you're talking to enough to, you know, not get so combative where you can't even have a basic conversation, right? Because I feel like then you've really lost what this country is about. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, for instance, the uh, the lady that is uh, an older lady came and uh, cut my dog's nails. She's a huge Democrat, 
And she loved to come over to my house because we would talk politics while she cut the dog's nails for a good hour. And we had some core disagreements, but we could just sit like you and I are talking and just have a normal conversation, you know? And I, and I, and I always said to her, I said, it should really be that simple. You know, <laughs> we're, I feel like we're all people and I think having difference of opinion is okay, but you should be able to talk about it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. And, um, and you owe not, not only the, uh, the political spectrum, but the, uh, you know, I've met people that are extremely well off. And then I've met people that are on the complete opposite spectrum. And I think reflecting on, um, all of this was, I was like, it really taught me that I can speak with anyone, have a conversation and find common ground with just about anyone from any walk of life, which has served me in my professional uh, world and really just all around where, you know, that is very much so a hard thing to find in today's world where I feel like everything is so polarized, you know, where I'm like, it really doesn't have to be, you know, like we can just have a, you know, conversation. And, um, I don't know, it's really taught me to, you know, respectfully how to agree to disagree with someone, how to understand where they're coming from and what they're going through. Because in this game, I will say people that you play with, you forge very deep connections with. And it's just way more than a game to a lot of people that the camaraderie you, you bond, you know, it could be, you know, I don't know, someone's, you know, dog passed away yesterday and you're in game and you're just chatting and it's therapeutic. You know, you have someone to get your mind off things. Um, Yeah. So I, I apologize for going into a long rant, but that's kind of, Not at all. you know, I don't know, John Clark, as I, as I raise kids, um, and I had this discussion right before, um, <laughs> we, uh, we talked, we had a little family meeting and, and, you know, I, I told my son, I said, I'm raising you to be a free thinker where I know you think you're always right. <laughs> and as you walk away and you're mad at whatever decision that we may make for you, that's okay. <laughs> I want you to have that freedom of thought, you know, of, you know, think how you want, but understand, you know, you have to be smart about it and, and holistically look at everything presented to you. And yeah, I just, I guess I, I my hope is I, I hope the generation after us, you know, can do that. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, that, I guess, geez, man, you really had me going there. Uh, but that's, that's kind of what my, um, my thought is on it. Thank you. I I really appreciate that. This has been awesome digging deep into this with you. Before we wrap up, are there any other things you'd like to share with me? You think I should know that maybe we didn't cover? Um, I would say that um, hopefully you see, and I know we, we mentioned politics, that even in a very divided, divisive, you know, whatever other you know, adjective you want to use, that there are still people and things that are trying to unify. 
And what you know, my goal set out to be was to remove the silos between OSI and free shards because there's always been a I don't want to say people felt like they were better. I'm trying to think of the right word, but it was always like, oh, you played a free shard. Well, you know, I'm playing OSI. And there was always this just breakdown of communication from both sides. Yeah. And really, as I started to bring more people on, right, because I got sometimes um, it's important for you to know that I would get pushback where like, you know, someone would say, well, I don't want to come on there and talk. And I'm like, this is a, a platform for everybody, man. Like, I don't care if you don't even actively play. We all have a story to share. And it, it's been cool that people have now kind of come on here and shared whatever experience. Like the OSI person I talked to, he had great things to say about the devs that I would have no idea because... I'm inherently biased, and that's why I wanted him to come on because I said, counter me, you know, because I'm not that involved in this, you know, realm of UO. So, you know, explain it. And it was really great, you know, and my hope is I hope people that, you know, can do that if they don't understand something or think something's a certain way to figure out why, you know, and don't be afraid to ask questions to people and and you know formulate your own opinions that would be my you know hope and um yeah i think i feel pretty confident in that i really appreciate what you're doing yeah and uh again thank you so much uh for reaching out for me how as as uh you know someone who's a caveman who doesn't know how any of this works how does it work on your end what is the end result going to be so this is slated for the print magazine in the spring. Okay. And then one, once it is out, it will also go up online, and you'll be able to share a, a link to the piece. And uh, Is there any way I could get the actual printed copy of that? Can I, is that possible? Yes. Um, send me your mailing address, and I'll make sure you get okay. a physical copy. Very good, yeah. Because I, th <laughs> I know this. This sounds really nerdy, but this is so important to me that I was, and most people in the community, by the way, agreed. That I, I told a few people. I said I feel like this is going to be very much so a piece that's looked at twenty five years from now, for sure. Um, I hope so. I hope so. Well, based on your reception that you've gotten, what is your take? Reception from who or in what way? Now, I don't know who you've talked to, obviously, but like the general reception when you bring up UO, I mean, my opinion is people light up like a Christmas tree if you talk about it. Like they're very apt to share information. Yes, yes. No, I, I have definitely found that. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, okay. Well, um, yeah, I don't want to uh, burn any more midnight oil here. This has been awesome. Uh, you know, is there anything else uh, you need from me? I think we're in good shape for now, but I will follow up by email if I need any clarifications or, or we want to follow up on something. Uh, sincerely, John Clark, thank you very much for this opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you, Skylar. I appreciate you as well and all you're doing. Thank you. You have a good night. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.